Gala. Okay. I just gotta pin the tweet and then we'll be off to the races here. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Drink some water, clear your throat, get ready for your lovely voice to be recorded. Here we go. Oh, by the way, Tyler, I spent yes. time to listen to that podcast of yours. Uh huh. It's, it's very natural and wow, just like Tyler. Pin, pin, pin. Okay. The top yeah. pinned tweet he on got, the Twitter. He, he got the. He got the yeah. top podcast. I missed that. No, no. Oh, I, 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 I did a, a... Somebody interviewed me for their podcast recently is what she's talking about. Yeah. And, and if you have no oh. time to go through everything, just don't miss the first 10 seconds. You'll get the juice of Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Air horn. Air horn. Oh, yes. Uh, audio effects. Yes. Air horn. Have you recorded Chris John? <clears throat> So that he doesn't have to keep repeating. We want huh? people to use burn. Now, have you recorded Chris John so that uh, he doesn't have to keep repeating, uh, asking people to use the burner phone? I'll stop. It gets old. My wife tells me I'm I'm like an uh, old record. Broken record. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Friday. Let's do it. October 15th. Let's do this. Microsoft is... Sh the biggest story is the Wall Street Journal article that broke while we were in the room last time, about 12 hours ago, that the Microsoft is shuttering the Chinese version of LinkedIn and replacing it with a job board. Sources say China told LinkedIn in March to better regulate content. Actually, more than that. There was a headline about a week ago that we read together all about that, that China was telling... No, actually, the headline a week ago was some journalists and academics had come to learn that their their profile was not available on the Chinese version of LinkedIn. And strangely, they seemed a little upset about that, which I, I don't think they should. <laughs> and now the now nobody's profile is available in LinkedIn in China. And I wonder how they feel. Those people who are complaining that their profile, you know, the, the dozen or so folks who weren't on the Chinese version of LinkedIn. Uh, I would love to go back to them and be like, yes, uh, last week you were complaining that your profile was not available in China. Now no profiles are available in China. How do you feel about your profile not being available now? Um, so essentially, it's a bit tricky to run, and by the way, as this article from the Wall Street Journal correctly points out, LinkedIn was the only American, you know, social media-ish tech company operating in China. <clears throat> that raises an interesting question as to why that was. It seems I can imagine uh, that it's LinkedIn is a very valuable tool in China, and they were willing to try it and unfortunately it just doesn't work out because it's very difficult to control what people say on that platform especially if i mean linkedin is a whole bunch of americans and if it's existing in both uh those are two different internets essentially you're operating inside of the great firewall of china where a whole bunch of words are not allowed and they must have been employing thousands of moderators to remove anytime anyone mentions anything dear leader doesn't like. That's quite a burden to do. It was an uncontrollable uh, site, right? So they want to have very controlled sites, as evidenced by the fact that there was a headline, I don't know, three days ago, 
that now all media, all media, all media, radio, you name it, newspapers, magazines, oh, I didn't say magazines, it said news, uh, TV, news, and radio must be 100% completely owned by the CCP with no private investors. That means Tencent cannot invest, Jack Ma cannot invest, nobody can invest. All the media is exclusively the property of one party in China, the CCP. So uh, we can imagine that we can look forward to some incredibly uh, balanced news coming out of China in the future, as if the, the CCP, <laughs> China does happen to have, you know, state-owned media like Xinhua News and uh, the People's Daily. But they also have the South China Morning Post, which is owned by Alibaba, which is still in some sense owned by Jack Ma, which still does actually really good journalism. And you've heard me say that a dozen times, if not a hundred times. And you've also heard me say in recent weeks, in fact, recent days, boy, that's the South China Morning Post is begging to be canceled. Like, holy shit, I can't believe they even are able to operate and publish some of these headlines that we've read even in the last week. And then sure enough, a couple days ago, bada boom, bada bing, no more public, no more private media. So they figured out a way to shut down South China Morning Post without even naming South China Morning Post. And why just shut down South China Morning Post when somebody could regurgitate it and, and resurrect it in some other form? Right, let's come up with a more robust solution to that whack-a-mole and just ban it all wholesale. Just boom, no more media that is not the CCP media. Well, that's a clever, efficient carpet-bombing way to kill all the moles in your front yard. You know, just rip, you know, just drop a nuclear bomb on your front yard. That, that'll get rid of the moles. So uh, kudos again to the CCP for their incredible uh, effectiveness in addressing challenges. Uh, We did it, everybody. (laughs) They did it. They figured out how to stop people from having opinions in in their country. It's amazing. So, yeah, and LinkedIn, you know, in that context, I say all of that to, to highlight how impossible it would have been to operate LinkedIn in China. It's amazing it lasted as long as it did. And China kept telling LinkedIn, hey, LinkedIn, remove this piece of content, remove this piece of content. No doubt they were getting thousands of requests a day, if you think about it. And LinkedIn was like, enough's enough. Like, it ain't worth it. I mean, yes, we're making billions of dollars, but at some point, it's not worth it. So there there you go. No more LinkedIn in China. So And, and do the math on that. Do the, the little napkin math. No, how much money were they making? Turns out it was their third largest market on the planet, and they make a billion dollars a year, right? So imagine you own LinkedIn. Imagine LinkedIn's making you a billion dollars a year. Imagine China's your third biggest market and probably growing, probably going to be the uh, the second biggest in the not distant future. And yet you're getting so many very strongly worded messages saying, take this down or else we will fine you. Lots of big fines. Imagine you're getting thousands of requests. How many requests a day would you need to receive to say, you know what? Fuck it. It ain't worth it. 50? No, you're going to keep doing it if it's 50. 500? You're probably going to stay there even if it's 500 requests per day. 
you're going to have to build a whole big moderation team dedicated to China to cooperate and coordinate to remove all the content each day that they don't like, right? At what point do you say, you know what? It ain't worth it. It's going to have to be a shit ton of the request to comply. It's going to have to be a whole lot of headache to comply with. So that's the interesting update. A White House official. What if it, Tyler, do you yeah. think it's what they're asked to comply with? No, they they knew they know. I mean, everybody knows before they get in bed with China what they're going to have to comply with. You're just going to have to do whatever they say, whenever they say, and they say jump. You say how high or. Well, what I mean is, is like, do you think they maybe silencing a lot of the Jinjiang reporting? Of course. And that's like so atrocious that they're just like, you know, what, we got to just cut bait. No, they like... they knew that was going to be the case from day one. That was clearly written in the in the agreement. Uh, interestingly, in this Wall Street Journal article, the second to last pair sentence says a wall, a White House official said the administration welcomed the move. Oh, maybe the U.S. didn't like LinkedIn operating in China. Maybe the U.S. It's. We can pull up the receipts that a whole lot of people with a lot of expertise. China has an actual national initiative to attract the smartest people on the planet in all the different sciences to bring those brains into China. And they pay very handsomely for that. And LinkedIn can be potentially a very valuable resource in, in executing that nationally huge grand plan called uh, it's called like chinese brain 2025 or whatever it's called and so the white house knows that of course and so the white house applauding linkedin stopping business in china that's kind of peculiar on its face um and perhaps the us was telling linkedin wait that we don't like you doing that over there man i know it's it's not helpful to the us that all of our uh, you know, everybody, every professional in America is in a database, you know, searchable and yada, yada. And all of these cyber attacks that are happening everywhere. Well, well, they're probably trying to get into the computers of these very smart people to find out, you know, what kind of interesting stuff they're up to and perhaps compromise them and perhaps do a little, you know, copying of their homework and uh, all of their interesting stuff that they're working on. So just a thought. Why the why the wall why the White House applauds LinkedIn departing from China? Interesting scenario there. Paul Moser, who covers uh, China and all of Asia, really for the New York Times, and has for a while, and he's brilliant, and I highly recommend following. He's brilliant to follow on Twitter. He's one of the last few uh, journalists in the region who who he did try to go to Xinjiang. In a car. That was when China started cracking down on all Western non-Chinese journalists in China. He was working in China for a very long time. And he's, by the way, he's actually very good friends with our friend David Chang. And uh, David introduced me to Paul. And I knew Paul before. I knew David. Like, I was following Paul even before I even knew David Chang here in Clubhouse. Because he's the New York Times guy for China. And anyway, he knew... Uh, that the Western journalists were getting kicked out of China. So he was like, fuck it, let's get in the car and let's go to Xinjiang and let's see what's going on before they kick us out. <laughs> that didn't work out so well. 
it was a nice try. Didn't work out. Didn't work out at all. No, no, no. They don't want you, you, anyone, let alone a journalist, let alone a New York Times journalist, getting anywhere near Xinjiang province. So that was not going to happen. And then he was quickly shown out uh, and will never be allowed back in. You know, because they love transparency. You know, they, they have nothing to hide. So uh, Paul took to Twitter and wrote a piece for the New York Times in relation to this topic of LinkedIn shutting down in China. So the New York Times version that Paul wrote says LinkedIn to shut down service in China, citing challenging environment is the New York Times headline on this stop. The Microsoft owned service had censored posts in China in compliance with the country's laws to operate there. a significantly more challenging operating environment and a greater compliance requirements. Okay. But then he tweets out in, uh, he adds a little context. He says, LinkedIn's China operations were once a tentative model for foreign internet firms to follow partner with a savvy VC firm, censor content as lightly as possible and get access to China. Seven years on the experiment has proven a failure for its efforts. LinkedIn ticked off both DC and Beijing Earlier this year, we reported China's internet regulator rebuked LinkedIn for its failure to control political content. When it took down more content, it earned a rebuke from Congress. Oh, so Congress was getting upset. The U.S., Washington was getting upset with LinkedIn for removing the content in China. The LinkedIn project epitomized the excitement of tapping a Chinese internet outsiders assumed would be boom and and liberalize. Those hopes are gone. Most U.S. firms gave up. One of China's great innovations turned out to be its incredible ability to censor. Okay, so I'm tweeting Paul's tweet to the Tech News Twitter account so you can see Paul's account. And um, great, great, great person to follow on Twitter. Very informative if you want to know what's going on on the ground in China where, you know, he speaks Chinese. He's covers China for New York Times. Very smart dude. Anyway, second biggest article of today. WhatsApp starts rolling out end-to-end encryption for chat history backups in iCloud and Google Drive. WhatsApp is beginning to roll out a new feature that will provide its 2 billion users the option to encrypt their chat history backup in iCloud or Google Drive, patching a major loophole. What's that uh, patching major loophole that has been exploited by governments to obtain and review private communication between individuals, Uh, meaning it's it's not encrypted, (laughs) meaning that's nice. You thought you were using an encrypted platform. Uh, The governments still can see everything. And by the way, there's a very the, the dystopian version of that comes to mind first, which is, oh, shit, they're able to see everything. Well, yeah, but. Uh, potentially a lot of bad actors and potentially international terrorist groups were potentially using it, thought thinking they were protected and they weren't. Interesting to think how many quote unquote bad folks were using it, thinking they were secure and they weren't. On that note, uh, the FBI invested over a million dollars in a end to end encryption uh, startup yesterday. That was an interesting headline. So this the story continues. WhatsApp has long encrypted chats between users and its app, but users have had no means to protect 
the backup of those chats stored in the cloud. For iPhone users, the chat history stored in iCloud for Android users rely on Google Drive. It has been widely reported that law enforcement agencies across the globe have been able to access the private communications between suspect individuals on WhatsApp by exploiting this loophole. WhatsApp was, which processes over 100 billion messages a day, is closing the weak link and tells that it's providing this new feature to users in every market where the app is operational. The feature is optional, the company said. And, uh, oh, it's not uncommon for companies to withhold privacy features for legal and regulatory reasons. Apple's new encrypted browsing feature isn't available to users in certain authoritarian regimes. Oh, you can't do encrypted browsing. Apple uh, disables that in a, in a few interesting countries, such as China, Belarus, Egypt, Kazakhstan, Saudi Arabia, Turkmenistan, Uganda, and the Philippines. You know those those super uh, super transparent, democracy loving countries. You know, gold standard for freedom. <laughs> the creme de la creme of you know civil liberties and. Mark Zuckerberg found, uh, founder and chief executive of Facebook noted that WhatsApp is the first global messaging service at this scale to offer end-to-end encrypted messaging and backups. Proud of the team for continuing to lead on security for our private conversations, he wrote. So I want to circle back in that last paragraph. When it says it's providing this new feature to users in every market where the app is operational... Oh, I guess countries can ban it, meaning. Yeah, so a country, those countries that we just named, yeah, maybe it's not available in China. China's like, no, thank you. We don't, we don't want that app in here. And potentially those other countries we named who don't let Apple operate in, a, in an encrypted way, they obviously won't allow other apps who are operating in an encrypted way because they want access. Okay, so next up is... Uh, from Ars Technica, how a U.S. hacker built a secret network of news sites, and, and news is in, in quotes, a secret network of news sites and Facebook groups to push bogus stories after an undisclosed company hired him to sway the 2016 election. He was hired to build a fake news operation, but now wants to put things right. This is the story of the mastermind, um, behind one of the largest fake news operations in the U.S. For two years, he ran websites and Facebook groups that spread bogus stories, conspiracy theories, and propaganda. Under him was a dedicated team of writers and editors paid to produce deceptive content from outright hoaxes to political propaganda with the supreme goal of tipping the 2016 election to Donald Trump. Through extensive efforts, he built a secret network of self-reinforcing sites from the ground up. And what that means is uh, you can think of Wikipedia, where in Wikipedia, every page you read links to 10 other pages inside Wikipedia. And that creates a powerful network, a rabbit hole, right, where they all kind of lift each other up. YouTube creators do the same where they make an alliance or a network where 
I have my YouTube channel, Cheryl and Lakeisha and Shane and Jay have their YouTube channels and I make videos about them. They make videos about me and we lift each other up and we share each other's traffic and it creates this network. So you get this really nice network effect. Well, this guy was doing the same with all of his fake news that he would link them to each other. They looked like 10 separate websites or news sources who were verifying each other and quoting each other. So it's a very clever uh, way to create a little uh, network of media. And through extensive efforts, he built a secret network of self-reinforcing sites from the ground up. He devised a strategy that got prominent personalities, including Trump, to retweet misleading claims to their followers. And he fooled unwary American citizens, including the hacker's own father, into, regar into regarding fake news sources more highly than the mainstream media. Pundits and governments just might have given Russia too much credit, he says, when the whole system of manipulating people's perceptions in psychology was engineered and operated from within the U.S. Here's his quote. Russia played such a minor role that they weren't even a blip on the radar. The hacker told the journalist here from Ars Technica, this was normal for politicians, though. If you say a lie enough times, everyone will believe it. Previously dubbed Hacker, Hacker X, he's now ready to reveal who he is and how he did it. The fake news impresario who has now decided to break his silence is ethical hacker Robert Willis. Some in the information security community might know Rob today as an active member who speaks at conferences and works with the Secura Samurai Ethical Hacking Group. The Secura Samurai have, on many occasions, responsibly disclosed vulnerabilities in the computer systems of governments and private entities. I've previously interacted with Rob on about two occasions minimally when I had questions regarding Secura Samurai's vulnerabilities. Uh, but back in 2015, Willis was just another hacker looking for an IT job. He had already received one job offer, but still had an interview scheduled at a final company. I was thinking of, I was thinking of not showing up for the interview. I had, after all, just committed to another company. I showed up at the location, which was a large corporate building. I was given directions to wait downstairs until I was collected. The secretary's, the secretness, the secretness was intriguing. It may have turned some people off, but I love an adventure and I had not been given any information on the job other than that they were very excited because to find someone like me was very rare. I had tons of random overlapping, highly technical skills from years of wearing multiple hats at smaller private companies. Even before da, 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 at the interview site, a man came down to get him and they rode the elevator to a floor with a nearly empty office inside waited a woman beside three chairs they all sat. His hosts finally revealed the name of their company, Koala Media. The moment felt like an orchestrated big reveal. I wasn't scared about ex I wasn't scared, but excited at how crazy this was already turning out to be. I listened. I was told there was there were big plans for the office I was sitting in, and they had already hired the internal writers and editors for the news operation, the interviews at the company told Willis that everything was to be built with security in mind at extreme levels. Should he get the job, his primary role would be to rapidly expand a single popular website already owned by Koala Media. For this, they needed someone with Willis's diverse set of skills. They told me that they were against big companies and big government because they were basically the same thing. They said they had readers on the right and on the left, and they said they were about freedom, that sounded okay to Willis, who describes himself as a social liberal and fiscal conservative, very punk rock borderline anarchist. 
Then the interview told him, if you work for us, you can help stop Hillary Clinton. He says, I hated the establishment. Republicans and Democrats and Hillary was the target because she was as establishment as it got and was the only candidate that was all about all but guaranteed to be running on the main ticket. If I were to choose a lesser evil at the time, it would have, without a doubt, been the Republican Party, blah, blah, blah. Willis says he had no indication of the gun. Oh, so this this is a super long article now, and they're going into all the details of this whole story. It sounds like the beginnings of a draft for a, a movie script almost. And it talks about cancer curing lemons and all kinds of crazy uh schemes that they cooked up in this crazy uh fake news network and how they made it and it's a very long story so i will tweet it out so people can save it and read the whole long story but that was just the tip of the iceberg the the real question is who was really behind it i guess um let me see let me see if i can skip if somebody can check out the tweet i just shared to the tech news twitter account and maybe check through that we can figure out who was behind it at the end of the day financing it i mean anyway okay so the next one is from the record google threat analysis group says it tracks 270 state-backed threat actors and sent 50,000 alerts for email phishing attacks to Gmail users in 2021. Hold on, let's break this one open. Google says it tracks 270 state-sponsored groups, meaning state-sponsored hacking groups. So 270 state-sponsored hacking groups based across 50 different countries. The Google Threat Analysis Group said today, that its security researchers are currently tracking more than 270 different government-backed threat actors activating from inside more than 50 countries. The figures include groups engaged in both cyber espionage operations, but also disinformation campaigns, Google said in a report today. When attacks performed by these groups, including uh, phishing emails, Google says it also sends email alerts to the targeted Gmail users. Oh, that's nice. We we happen to know that some state hacking group just sent you a phishing email to try and hack into your account. Please don't click on the link that you just received from, in your previous email. Or I imagine they have an even more clever way of putting it right in that email that you got from that state hacking group that says, please don't click on this link from, from your friendly FBI. Uh, or from Google, rather. When attacks performed by these groups, uh, da, da, so far in 2021, we sent over 50,000 warnings, a nearly 33% increase from this time in 2020, according to Ad, Ad, Ajax Bash, a Google analyst said today, the spike is largely due to blocking an unusually large campaign from a Russian actor known as APT28, or Fancy Bear, as it's called in the biz. Oh, what a shock. What a surprise. I'm so confused. I, I All this time, I thought it was, you know, Norway who was doing all of this um, hacking on American companies. Turns out it was Russia, everybody. According to Google, I know what you were thinking. You thought it was, you know, Canada. Turns out, not so much. Turns out it's 
wildly it's it's just just such a shock the world is real i mean the the this this news is just breaking everywhere and the whole world's coming to terms with the fact that our dear dear friends over there in russia are are actually sending a lot of state backed hacks the spike is largely due to blocking an unusually large campaign from Russian actor known as Fancy Bear. But even if Fancy Bear was responsible for the largest attack this year, Google said that another group was more active, named APT35, also tracked as Charming Kitten. And APT35, Newscaster, Ajax Security Team, Phosphorus, and Group 83 the group is believed to operate under the protection of the Iranian government. Oh, this is so weird. All of our very closest and dearest friends, you know, Russia and Iran and China. That, turns out they're hacking us, guys. This is really weird. For years, this group has hijacked accounts, deployed malware, and used novel techniques to conduct espionage aligned with the interests of the Iranian government. Past attacks included several phishing emails modeled around the Munich security and the Think20 Italy political conferences and use a spyware-infested VPN app uploaded on the Google Play Store. Oh, lovely. <laughs> There's a VPN that if you download it, actually just hacks you. That's nice. In 2021, the group hacked the website of the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London and used it to host a phishing kit. Oh, lovely. The group then went on to send email messages with links to the hacked site to harvest credentials for platforms such as Gmail, Hotmail, and Yahoo. Use, here's a quote. Users were instructed to activate on invitation to a fake webinar by logging in. The phishing kit was will also be will also ask for second-factor authentication codes sent to devices. And there's your daily update that Chris is using a burner phone. And <laughs> the, the phishing kit will also ask for second-factor authentication codes sent to the device, referring to a campaign documented earlier this year. So that's the update. The next one is from Bloomberg. They say they have sources that the SEC is poised to let the first Bitcoin futures ETF from ProShares and Invesco trade in the U.S. as early as next week. Oh, shit, everybody. That could put some upward pressure on the price of Bitcoin, rather notably, actually, which the timing of this is quite interesting because it's already about to test the resistance point of its all-time high of 60,000. If it breaks through 60,000, it's likely to go considerably higher. How much higher, we don't know, because it's never been above that. But if you look at technical trading, which Bitcoin does tend to follow a lot of technical trading, um, that that is very likely to cause Bitcoin to break through its all-time high of 60,000, and let's see how high it'll go. Because a Bitcoin ETF will allow people to essentially, not exactly, but essentially buy Bitcoins like shares on a stock market. In the same way that you can buy kind of gold ETFs and there's other ETFs that are kind of synthetic-ish. I don't know what... what, when, what when is this going live, Tyler? It says next week. Uh, from Invesco? Front, yes, Invesco and ProShares. Look at that. Okay. 
But, but keep in mind, this means a whole bunch of people who would like to, uh, who believe in the, up, you know, that Bitcoin is going to go up, who don't want to go through the hassle of actually going through the traditional Bitcoin processes because they want a little faster liquidity or whatnot because they've got their money in their trading account and they don't want to remove it from there and put it into, you know, a separate Bitcoin account. Boy, there there could be billions of dollars that flood into Bitcoin. And because if the ETF goes up, the Bitcoin folks are going to watch that and be like, oh, it's trading above where it is currently in in you know, real Bitcoin trading on the on the exchanges, the Bitcoin exchanges or the crypto exchanges. Yeah, but the e- the ETF should track the 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 underlying you know commodity, whatever. It should track Bitcoin. It's it shouldn't lead Bitcoin. It should track. Bitcoin. It can though. If you've if in the in the in the first week of trading on an ETF, you got a whole bunch of people who who probably been waiting for this for quite a long time. Well, I think the question will be. If I'm Invesco and I'm launching this, okay, I've probably purchased all, I mean, some amount of Bitcoin that I think I'm going to need to fund the ETF. So yep. I don't think it's, oh, right. you know, right. So I don't think, I don't think necessarily um, as people, you know what I'm saying? They'll buy the ETF, but the Bitcoin's already there. Mm-hmm. should be anyway. So the next one about Coinbase. Coinbase asks Congress to, when Coinbase is, the largest U.S.-based uh, cryptocurrency exchange, which had a massive IPO a few months ago, one of the world's largest ever. Coinbase asks Congress to regulate digital assets outside of the existing financial system and to create a special regulator for digital assets markets. Yeah, they want to comply, comply, comply. They want to do everything by the book, and they don't because they're they're a publicly traded company. They want really clear guidelines so they can drive the car faster because they don't want to be driving and putting the pedal to the metal when the lines on the road aren't clearly painted. And there's a whole lot of interesting areas up up, up ahead in crypto land where the regulators have not yet clearly defined the lines. So Coinbase is saying, could you please paint those lines further up the highway so we can go ahead and hit the gas pedal? and not worry about going over the lines and then you coming in and saying we did something wrong because we don't want to do it wrong. We're asking you to paint the lines. We would like to go a lot faster. Could you please hurry up and paint those lines on that highway up that road ahead there? Thank you very much. That would be very nice. Yeah, makes sense. Because it's they've already gotten a little taste of, the SEC has already sent them threats of suing them for driving outside of the lines and in particular it was a headline about two three weeks ago where coinbase says we're going to have a new product called lend where if you have coins in our system you're going to be able to borrow against those holdings and the sec says no you don't no you do not you cannot do that and coinbase is like wtf bro we messaged you and said we were planning to do this. We even went to Washington, D.C. and request to meet with your busy, apparently too busy ass. All the other agencies in Washington, D.C. met with us. You're the only ones who didn't. We were trying to tell you we wanted to do this. We were warning, signaling to everybody we're planning to do this. Now we're you didn't want to meet with us. We're letting the public know we're planning to do this. And now you're responding saying, now we can't do that. Okay, great. So please, l- paint the rules of the road because... 
You're telling us we can't do it as Coinbase, but here's 50 of our competitors who are doing it. Are you threatening to sue them? So why don't you paint the roads, the lines on the basketball court so we know when the ball's in or out so that all of our competitors will have to follow the same rules because as it is right now, you're only holding us to follow the rules and not these 50 other companies who are doing the same thing. So please, we beg you, figure out what the fuck you want to do with crypto and all of the digital digital assets and whatnot. Get your shit straight. Make your little rule book. Paint the lines on the court so we can play this game and wipe you all out. Please, pretty please, can you please make some fucking decisions here about how you want this to work? Because we're gonna, we're ready. We got our shoes on. We got our new Air Jordans. We got a brand new basketball here, and we're ready to dunk on your asses. We're gonna wipe you the fuck out as soon as you blow this fucking whistle and flip this coin. We're got our, we got our game face on. So please, for the sake of everybody, let's get this game on. Hey, Tyler, I need to take a step back here. Go ahead. Just took a look at the article that you were talking about, the, yeah. the Bitcoin ETF. It's really important for people to understand that this ETF that we're talking about, um, which, by the way, they have not – everyone's assuming because it's a deadline uh, for, the SC, uh, for the SEC, I guess, to approve this. They're just going to let the deadline get there, and, and therefore it's going to get, like, tacit approval. But it's based on Bitcoin futures, not actual Bitcoin. Yes. They haven't approved – okay, and and just so everyone should re- realize this because, I mean, so you don't get into any – kind of trouble with any kind of uh, ETF that's based on futures. It could be gold, it could be oil, it could be gas. Um, usually it's not gold, but like um, usually I've seen it with like the natural gas and oil. If it's based on futures, the value of the ETF could could be very different than the underlying thing it's supposed to track Correct. because the way futures contracts work, okay? And like, so you need to be aware of that because a lot of people get burnt on that. I mean, I've seen natural gas um, ETFs that are based on futures where like the natural gas is going up and the futures are going and the ETFs going down or vice versa. So they, they don't really track necessarily that well. So you need to be very careful with ETFs that are based on futures rather than ETFs that actually hold the asset. Big difference. So by the way, the... Uh... Bitcoin jumped rather notably when this news broke a few hours ago already, just just on the headline of this. I'm I'm sure. I mean, because it's going to probably have an impact on the, I guess it's a futures market for Bitcoin. I haven't. It says the headline from Coindesk is Bitcoin spikes after Bloomberg reports SEC won't block futures ETF. So. The next one is Google rolls out continuous scrolling for English language mobile search results in the U.S. Google announced today it's changing the way search works on mobile devices initially in the U.S. Now, when you reach the bottom of a set of search results on your phone, you won't have to tap to the go to next page. You know, 20 years after the company started. You get all those beautiful blue links all on one page now. Next up, uh, from the Washington Post, they've done a profile of somebody named Cher Scarlett, an Apple employee. Oh, let me guess. She's got some interesting leaky info. A Washington Post profile of Cher Scarlett, an Apple employee, leading the Apple II campaign. Hashtag Apple II. 
highlighting racism, retaliation, sexual, and other forms of workplace harassment. And Cher Scarlett is willing to risk a dream job at Apple to blow the whistle on alleged labor violations at the iPhone maker. Cher Scarlett grew up poor and dropped out of high school. As a teenager, she struggled with addiction, danced as a stripper, and tried to overdose on pills. Her ticket to the better life was learning to code. Last year, she became perhaps the least probable member of Apple's elite software engineering team. But the storied tech giant, Scarlett says, turned out to be a place that blithely enables discrimination against women and others historically underrepresented groups. By the way, she appears, I'm looking at a, a very up-close, detailed photo of her. She appears to be Caucasian. Um, so, discriminate against women and other historically underrepresented groups, including disabled people. Oh, really? Apple discriminates against disabled people? Really? Uh, that's kind of interesting, because every keynote that Apple's done in the past decade highlights the rather groundbreaking work they do in accessibility. Uh, I would love any anyone with disabilities in the audience to jump on stage and share their impressions of Apple, because the only things I have ever heard on this front is the disabled community, the hard of hearing, hard of seeing, uh, love Apple because they are far ahead of anybody else in the hardware space. Hans is in the audience, I think. Yeah, Hans can answer this. Yep. Raise your hand, Hans. Let, let's, let's figure out here if this uh, rings true with people from this community here. Let's see. Where, where's Mr. Hans? Okay, I'll pin him again. Okay. So... Apple, uh, here's a quote. Apple does not care about its employees. It cares about money. Scarlett said in an interview, maybe that's capitalism and that's just the way corporations are. Uh, yes, Cher. <laughs> that is capitalism and that's just the way corporations are. That's right. You, you answered your own question there, Cher. But I can't live my life further accepting it and not saying something about it. Oh, okay. Um, well, there are countries that don't operate under these capitalistic-like systems. And um, have you tried visiting them would be my first question. I, I happen to have lived in some of those countries from time to time. And they, there are strengths and weaknesses. Apple declined to comment on her specific allegations or specific employee matters and said it is committed to a positive, inclusive workplace. Scarlett's story, as told to the Washington Post, is part of a growing chorus of tech workers, many of them women, challenging the power centers of Silicon Valley, where some of them allege companies are still run like frat houses and discrimination against women and racial minorities continues to make headlines. In recent years, more than 20,000 Google employees staged a walkout to protest sexual misconduct and inequality. While black women at Pinterest Accused the company of discrimination and retaliation just last month, Amazon settled a wrongful termination suit against two women it fired after they publicly criticized the company's climate policies. Yeah, we read that headline. But so far, I, I'm not aware of any suits or settlements by any tech companies where anyone has been able to force a tech company to 
make any kind of settlements for their discrimination uh, uh, as as is being alleged here. Did we get Hans in on stage? No. Yeah, I pin him. Oh, okay. Speak. I thought you said he was on, in the room. Sorry. Yeah, he was. He was in the room just now, but I think he left. That's okay. okay. I'll pin him again. Okay. So, uh, last Tuesday, former Facebook employee Frances Hogan became the highest profile tech whistleblower of all when she testified before Congress that Facebook misled the public about the harm caused by its products. This is an industry with pronounced racism and misogyny problems, says Meredith Whitaker, a former Google employee who helped lead the walkout there. Whitaker, as well as Tim Gebru, who was fired from Google after she raised questions about the ethics of its AI ambitions, has spoken with Scarlett about her efforts. Gebru says the way the tech industry is covered by the media, which to her defies tech leadership, helps shield tech companies from scrutiny. There's just no accountability. Oh, the journalists are helping the tech. Oh, I see. That's an interesting hot take that the media is enabling big tech. That's quite interesting. That's a real interesting take because this article that we're reading would imply the opposite. The fact that this, the Washington Post is writing this article would seem to counter that narrative. The activists have chalked up some victories. In January, Google employees formed a union a rarity in an industry that generally pays well and rewards employees with stock options worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Meanwhile, California courts had begun witting witting away as the power of non-disclosure agreements as a central element to stop secret culture that publicly punishes dissenters. So where is this profile on this Apple... I've read half the article and there's no, you've not mentioned Cher Scarlett other than introducing her as a high school dropout druggy stripper. Where's this profile? Large companies, though, still have the upper hand, blah, blah, blah. The, that began to change this summer with the rise of the Apple II movement, a largely anonymous, in largely anonymous testimonials, more than 500 employees, many working at Apple. Apple's more than 500 global retail stores have accused the company of erecting an opaque, intimidating fortress that tolerates racism, sexism, discrimination, retaliation, bullying, sexual, and other forms of harassment. Scarlett has become the face of the Apple II movement, a role that evolved from her brutally honest presence on Twitter, where she goes by the share the dev and a Twitter account and has amassed 46,000 followers on Twitter. Scarlett has openly discussed the messy details of her life and her feisty presence on the platform has quickly made her a magnet for Apple colleagues having difficulties with the company. She took to Twitter to encourage women to come forward with stories of sexual harassment at her former employer. Activision Blizzard. Ashley's not going to be happy about this. No, no. <laughs> There's a, I'm starting to notice a bit of a, a, a race between... Ashley and uh, Miss Azoma and um, Cher Scarlet here. There's and there seems to be no shortage of journalism. There's always a horse. There's always a horse race in all of these dramas, isn't there? Scarlet, who says her mental health has suffered as a result of the harassment she received 
from some of her colleagues at Apple is now on paid medical leave and has retained an attorney who is representing her in negotiations with Apple lawyers. I'm not a corporate shill, but I'm not, but I'm also not throw away my job idiotic. She said, no, she's brilliant. She's claiming medical, um, uh, she's that she's suffering mental health as a result of this, so she's not able to work. So she stays at home, and gets is still able to receive payment. So yeah, she's she's not throw away her job idiotic. She's not going to quit. She's not going to quit this company that she's claiming is. Uh, what were the words here? Uh. uh do 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 do. Where? Didn't you say discriminatory and misogynistic, or did um, I? Well, I, that? oh, here it is. Sorry. <clears throat> so she's not willing to quit the company that is an intimidating fortress that tolerates racism, sexism, discrimination, retaliation, bullying, sexual, and other forms of harassment. I'm not going to quit that company. Why? You think I'm crazy? Why would I quit a company? That's an opaque, intimidating fortress of racism, sexism, discrimination, retaliation, bullying, sexual and other forms of harassment. You think I'm going to quit that? Are you fucking crazy? I'm not that stupid. Come on. I might be crazy, but I'm not stupid. Why would I quit such a company? I'm not a corporate chill, but I'm also not throw away my job idiotic. I have to feel good about what I'm putting into the world, whether that's in my job or on social media, whatever. I have to feel good about it. If I don't, I have to remedy it immediately. We are and have always been deeply committed to creating and maintaining a positive and inclusive workplace. We take all concerns seriously and we thoroughly investigate whenever a concern is raised and out of respect for the privacy of an individuals involved. We do not discuss specific employee matters, says Apple spokesman Josh. Rosenstock in a statement. Scarlett has support from some of her colleagues, most of whom she says will not speak to reporters for fear of harming their careers. That uh, that doesn't make sense because there's this, there's this thing called off the record, share. So they can talk to reporters without revealing who they are, and the reporters won't mention who they are. So that comment makes no sense at all. They can go ahead and talk to the reporters without ruining harming their careers. She's doing it because she believes in doing so that begs the question, does she actually have the support of her co-workers that she claims she has, but she says aren't willing to talk to reporters? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't add up. Scarlett has support from some of her colleagues whom she says will not speak to reporters for fear of harming their careers. No, that ain't how it works. They can talk to the, the reporters all they want. The reporters are not going to leak their identities. And people understand that. It's called speaking off the record. Uh, She's doing it because she believes in doing the right thing for people and making sure the company we work for is doing the right thing, says uh, Janeke Parrish, a program manager on the Apple Maps team who has helped organize the Apple II initiative. So there's one who's willing to speak on the record. Parrish has talked to Scarlett about her troubled past and how it drives her desire to fight what she sees as injustice, it is an incredible story, Paris said. She's a deeply inspiring figure. 
In a series of interviews with the Post, Scarlett described growing up in Kirkland, Washington and being a junior astronaut who wanted to become a scientist, go to space, an avid gamer who created a website for her guild. In a role-playing game, EverQuest, Scarlett says she studied for the SAT and got a near-perfect score. But her family was poor. She said her mother worked for a construction company and her father and stepfather came in and out of her life. Though her memory is fuzzy, she said she was sexually abused as a young child by a family friend. In high school, she began experimenting with drugs and began stripping at 18 to pay for a cocaine habit. Scarlett says she was forced to perform sex acts on camera at 19. Days later, she said she attempted suicide. She provided information to federal investigators in 2018, which led to the arrest of the perpetrator and began going to Going by Scarlet, which is not her real name, out of concern for her safety, she is in the process of legally challenging it. She got pregnant at 21. Well, so this is the profile part, I guess. Uh, she got pregnant at 21, and the decision to have the baby forced her to clean up her act, she says. And it wasn't even on purpose. It was like, I can't use the websites. They take too long to load. So she began, anyway. So it's a profile of the person behind the Apple II uh, website. And I will share that out from the Washington Post. And an interesting moment in 2021 here with now Cher Scarlett, Ashley Giovic, and Miss Azoma um, leading the charge, which, which seem, by, from my perspective, seems they're getting a whole lot of support from the press and the media who at least Scarlett claims is in bed with big tech and protecting them, which ah, that doesn't seem to ring true, true from, from the headlines that I'm reading, Miss Scarlett. And it seems like they're very eagerly working with you to sink the ship of big tech. And in fact, they're using you for their purposes to sink big tech. Just shared that one. And the next one is what What here? That was the profile from Washington Post. Uh, the, it says, investigation finds Amazon places its own brands above competitors, even those with higher ratings and more sales, despite telling Congress otherwise. And that right there is uh, a real whistleblowing event right there. That's some heavy shit right there. This is the goods that we've been looking for. Yes, in the last article, Cher Scarlett says Apple's, you know, a fortress of intimidation and harassment and, you know, misogyny and whatnot. And that's great. Show us the receipts, Cher Scarlett. We would love to see them. We would love to see the, the, the receipts on that incredibly strong claim. As we would love to, you know, if somebody's got some, same with the Facebook whistleblower. Please show us the documents, the thousands of documents that you, you know, that you took from Facebook and shared with the Wall Street Journal and with the Senate. We would love to see the damning evidence that, you know, Facebook is the atrocious monster that you say it is. We're willing to hear that. The whole world's willing to hear uh, how bad Apple is. And we would love to see examples, by the way. Please show us the examples. And here's such an example, an investigation. Now, the question is, whose investigation? From where? How? Where? 
has found that Amazon is placing its own brands above its competitors, even those with higher ratings and more sales, despite telling Congress otherwise. Well, that's lying before Congress. That can get you in some deep shit. And it's not entirely clear if it's illegal or not for app, for Amazon to do that to its brands. I imagine they checked with their lawyers before they did that. It might not even be illegal. It's incredibly morally bankrupt. It's incredibly shady. And it might even be stupid. It might, uh, well, it, you might make a lot of money in the short term at the cost of potentially sabotaging yourself in the long term, but it may not even be illegal to do that, according to their terms of service. But it is shady. And uh, telling Congress otherwise, that might be very much, that's very likely to be illegal because you're almost certainly to be under oath when you're testifying before Congress. And if you testified under oath that you're not doing that, now you just crossed over a, a legal line. And that's some real shit. That's some, now we're, now we're getting somewhere. Now this is some real company uh, you know, misbehavior. And the SEC is going to get, you know, do, there will be further investigation into this. The, yeah, who's behind this investigation? How did this get out is the interesting question. As of the, for the moment, we don't really know. But I imagine there will be more shakeout. It says it took, hey. yes. Tyler, Hans yeah. is back in the audience. Okay, that's what I thought you were going to say. Mr. Hans, could you help us answer it? We have a quick we have a quick question for you, Hans, that hopefully you can answer. As somebody who's intimately familiar with the um the the sight impaired community and maybe even the hearing impaired community, how does Apple rank would we say Apple discriminates against people with disabilities? Or the contrary, is Apple a good actor uh, in regard to the disabled community? Well, uh, thank you for asking. Uh, Apple has a major big star uh, role in uh, the whole uh, community because they invented a voiceover that made it uh, uh, at all possible for blind people to use uh, smartphones. Um, so, uh, but of course <laughs> they have to do it right all the time, but, but, uh, it's, uh, they have a very big star, uh, in the, uh, blind community and, uh, and also, uh, they have made, uh, hearing aids accessible for, uh, for, uh, uh they have made some, uh, they call made for iPhone. Uh, that uh, hearing aid uh, companies can build in so they connect uh, directly. Uh, that's what my hearing aids are doing anyway. Um, so, yeah, uh, Apple is uh, one of the good guys uh, till now. So, mm-hmm. And so of the disabled community, what percent do you think use Apple versus non-Apple? Um. In, I mean, uh, iPhone was the only uh, smartphone that was accessible uh, for blind people. So uh, until some years ago, it was like, if you could afford it, it would be like 100%. Uh, but now that uh, Android has uh, made uh, TalkBack, uh, 
uh, then uh, and talkback is working really really good uh, so 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 now it's just a matter of price i mean if you live in india and you are a blind person it's like uh, 90% android uh, and if you live in denmark and you can afford it it's uh, the other way around so um, so it's uh, it's a matter of uh, but but i think if if uh, maybe not so much anymore but Till now, it has been that if you could afford an iPhone as a blind person, you would definitely have one. Uh, so, okay, thank you for thank that. Thank you, Hans. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Thank you. So, the next article about Amazon puts its own brands first above better rated products. The online giant gives a leg up to hundreds of house brands and exclusive products that most people don't know are connected to Amazon. And that's the other, that, that's where it gets even a little more sinister, which is the brands that they make and promote on their own. They don't even put the Amazon brand on it. So you don't even realize that they're doing this because that, that might be a little too obvious. So the article says it took uh, Robert Gonzalez about five months to get his cafe coffee grinder to the big leagues in e-commerce among the first three search results for coffee grinder on Amazon. Well done, Robert. You got your coffee grinder to the top three for coffee grinder and Amazon. That's probably not easy to do. Gomez, founder of Atlanta-based consumer group's startup called 4Q Brands, said he obsessive, obsessively refined his photos and description, amassed reviews from happy customers, and paid Amazon $40,000 a month on advertising to boost sales. One of the elements Amazon tells sellers will increase search ranking. Oh, it's pay to play, is it? The Amazon then Amazon introduced a competitor from house brand Amazon Basics and another from a brand that sells exclusively on Amazon called Dr. Mills. They ranked well right away, Gomez said, each of them appearing among the top three results for Coffee Grinder. The reason, he said, was clear. Their search ranking is high because they're an Amazon brand. An investigation by The Markup, which is who I'm reading this from, themarkup.org. An investigation by the market found that Amazon places products from its house brands and products exclusive to the site ahead of those from competitors, even competitors with high customer ratings and more sales, judging from the volume of reviews. We found that knowing only whether a product was an Amazon brand or exclusive could predict in seven out of every 10 cases whether Amazon would place it first in the search results. The listings are not visibly marked as sponsored. And well, of course, they don't have to pay for a sponsorship on their own platform. So they're technically they're not sponsored. These listings are not visibly marked as sponsored and they are part of a grid that Amazon identifies as search results in the site's source code. We only analyze products in that grid, ignoring modules that are strictly for advertising. When we analyze star ratings and number of reviews, neither could predict which better, much better than a coin toss, which product Amazon placed first in its search results. Amazon told Congress in 2019 that its search results do not take into account whether a product is an Amazon-owned brand. Oops, looks like that wasn't totally true. Sellers say it doesn't seem that way to them. Gomez said Amazon brands have an unfair advantage that make it harder for small merchants like him to compete on its open marketplace. Who bears the cost are those entrepreneurs and small businesses that don't have the means to fight. The markup found Amazon placed its Happy Belly 
cinnamon crunch cereal with four stars and 1,000 reviews in the number one spot ahead of cereals with better and more reviews, including Captain Crunch that has five stars and 14,000 reviews, Honey Bunches of Oats, five stars and 5,000 reviews, Honey Nut Cheerios with five stars and 11,000 reviews. They're putting their cereal first. This is Cereal Gate, folks. A vacuum cleaner for Amazon's exclusive noise brand was placed on top ahead of models from Bazell, Eureka, and Hoover with higher ratings and more reviews. And the Amazon exclusive concept sneaker from Skechers placed number one, four spots ahead of similar but non-exclusive to Amazon Skechers sneakers with the same star ratings, but 77 times more reviews. The former Amazon employee told the markup that the company used to give its new house brand products an unearned place at the top of search rankings when they first launched. He said the practice has since stopped. However, we found that Amazon brands and exclusive products overall received an outsized portion of the top spot on search results, one that has far out of line with the promotion of the sample. In a national survey, we commissioned only 17% of respondents said they assumed that Amazon put its own products first. Half said they expected the first non-sponsored product on Amazon search results page to be the cheapest, highest rated, and best selling. By giving its brands top billing, Amazon is giving itself a significant leg up in sales. Yep. The first three items on the search result page get 64% of clicks, according to one ex-Amazon employee turned consultant. In a short written statement, Amazon spokesperson Nella Rona said that the company does not favor its brands and search results and declined to answer any of the dozens of specific questions posted by the markup. She said the company identified its brands to shoppers by adding Amazon brand to the list of product features on the product page and sometimes to the listing title as well. We only found this to be the case 23% of the time. And then it talks about invisible tags. And then it gets into the real hot shit where it says they would shut us down. Sellers said, there's no mistaking the efforts on sales of Amazon's choices in the search results. Here's the quote. If the customers are not seeing our products in the top five offers, then it makes it really hard for us to reach customers. It says Gabriella Meckler, a Miami mom who co-founded the organizational products company Mumi or Mummy. M-U-M-I in 2014. Mummy's top products, a set of color-coded packaging cubes, struggles for visibility on Amazon. Even after more than two years on the site, she said the coronavirus pandemic decimated her sales. They dropped by more than 68%, costing the company a hard-won Amazon's Choice badge on its packing cubes. Mummy has not placed on the front page of search results for packing cubes for months, at the time of the writing, Amazon Basics took up eight spots on the first page. One was labeled "Future," featured from our brands. None were visibly marked sponsored. And Meckler, the owner of Mummy, says their products will always show before yours. We're a small company. They would show. Oh, one Mummy product was still being was still being was still been selling well despite the pandemic. She said reusable pill pouches. For now, there's no Amazon Basic pill pouch, and Meckler hopes there won't be anytime soon. We're a small company. They would shut us down. Well, the word is getting out on Amazon. You might want to look at uh, a company called Shopify. 
uh, as a whole bunch of these. It'll be interesting here. It's going to Amazon's getting seemingly aggressive, a little overextending, playing a little unfair in the casino. The next one from CBS San Francisco. Residents of quiet San Francisco street say Waymo self-driving cars are flocking to their neighborhood throughout the day, seemingly confused by a dead-end cul-de-sac. A normally quiet San Francisco neighborhood is buzzing about a sudden explosion of traffic. Neighbors say their Richmond District dead-end street has suddenly become crowded with Waymo vehicles. I noticed it while I was sleeping, says Jennifer King. I awoke to a strange hum, and I thought, there's a spacecraft outside my bedroom window. The visitor, the visitors Jennifer King is talking about don't just come at night. They come all day, right to the end of the 15th Avenue, where there's nothing else to do but make some kind of multi-point turn and head out the way they came in. Not long after that car is gone, there will be another, which will make the same turn and leave before another car shows up and does the same thing. And while there is some pauses, it never really stops. There are some days where it can be up to 50, King says of the Waymo count. It's literally every five minutes, and we're all working from home, so this is what we hear. At several points this Tuesday, they showed up on top of each other. The cars packed with technology stop in a queue as if they're com completely baffled by the dead end. While some neighbors say it's becoming a bit of a nuisance, everyone finds it a little bizarre. I don't really have a preference either way, but it's a little bit odd that they're over here so much. And especially across a slow, a slow street and into one block street, blah, blah, blah. The frequency of the visit is sparking conversation in the neighborhood. But for now, neighbors can only guess as to what exactly is causing this. We have talked with the drivers who don't have much to say other than the car is programmed and they're just doing their jobs. There are a fleet of them driving through the neighborhood regularly and it's been going on for six, eight weeks, maybe more. In an emailed statement, a Waymo spokesperson said, we continually just to dynamic San Francisco road rules. In this case, cars traveling north of California on 15th Avenue have to take a U-turn due to the presence of slow streets signage on Lake, so the Waymo driver was obeying the same road rules that any car is required to follow. Okay. There's going to be a few technical hiccups on our way to fully autonomous cars everywhere. The next one from ZDNet, enterprise search company Elastic to acquire Optimize. Who cares? HTC announces their $499 Vive Flow VR headset that requires an external battery and uses an Android phone as a wireless controller available in November. The next one, Roblox outlines plans to add more realism to player avatars, introduces new in-game monetization streams, Add NFT-like limited edition items, that's very interesting, and more. At its annual developer conference Thursday, Roblox, which by the for those who don't know, is now publicly traded, wildly booming. If you know any young kids, they are very likely spending a lot of their time on it. And it's kind of uh, taken over uh, a Minecraft as this environment, this virtual environment where they're building things. 
and now they're they had a developer conference where they make all kinds of big announcements. So at its annual developer conference yesterday, Roblox painted a picture for what's next for the fast-growing online multiplayer portal that's like catnip for kids and teens. In his keynote, Roblox co-founder David Bussat, Bassuz, what? Bass Zucky outlined plans to spruce up player avatars, introduce new in-game monetization streams, and streamline the experience for developers dreaming up the user-generated content that turned the company into a massive success at the intersection of gaming and social networking. Roblox is, yeah, I, here's a quote. I think people are going to realize Roblox is not just one thing, says the chief product officer. On Thursday, Roblox announced a new meaningful changes in this direction. The first is layered clothing, a visual update that makes avatar outfits more realistic and dynamic. The newly announced Roblox avatar updates, who cares? Given the booming business of selling in-game items, Roblox has plenty of financial incentives to make its virtual fashion scene more sophisticated and lifelike. It also got to keep up with the competitors like Epic Games and... In the vein of building towards more realism, Roblox is also giving developers beta access to what it calls dynamic heads, facial animations for avatars that could even be interwoven with facial tracking to make a character's model mouth move along with what it's saying. So they're they're quite ahead of the curve on the whole uh, metaverse scenario. So it's uh, going to be very interesting to watch how Roblox takes advantage of their initial lead in in this kind of metaverse space and how they continue to add more functions and features and this nft like but not exactly nfts um functionality creators can also generate money off of subsequent sales by enabling royalties and that's one of the main benefits and functions and features of an nft a perk that roblox in-game items will share with some nfts the idea is that you will eventually be able to set rules of what happens in the resale of items, just like NFTs. Although I imagine they're making it much easier than traditional NFTs. De- developers will be able to enjoy more flexibility when creating content for the platform through the new system Roblox calls Open Cloud. Open Cloud will allow developers to create content in third-party tools and then plug that into Roblox rather than being restricted to Roblox Studio. Okay. Next up is uh, Facebook details something they're calling Ego4D, a research project in partnership with 13 universities that uses first-person video, meaning like cameras on on your forehead or on your chest, first-person video, to improve perception by AI assistance. Because today... AIs basically work off of photos for the most part, with the exception of self-driving cars, namely Tesla. Tesla's self-driving cars work off of videos, and those AIs understand what's in the video. They understand that's a dog walking across the street. Here's how a dog behaves, so we can predict what that dog's likely to do as it walks across the street. That's an old person walking with a stroller. Here's what that person's likely to do. That's a balloon. That here Now we know what a balloon is and what it's likely to do. And the AIs are learning about objects and object detection and what those objects are likely to do in Tesla's self-driving cars. It's incredibly challenging. Facebook is now saying they're essentially working to do the same, but not for cars, but for people. So when you're walking around town or your house and you have 
a set of things in front of you, like a drum set, this is their own example that they give, you sit in front of a drum set, Facebook says, oh, you're going to try and play the drums, but you don't know how to play the drums. Let us help you pick up the two sticks, put your hands like this and do as such. And now you're going to have this augmented AI is going to understand the context of real life around you. And they give the example of baking things. So when you're in the kitchen, they're going to train their AIs. Well, let's put it this way. In the photo world of AIs, AIs have become rather masterful at recognizing any photo and the objects in those photos and inferring all kinds of interesting things. They've been able to do rather miraculous things, like recently have completed a, uh, a Picasso painting. Uh, they're able to detect things in medical scans that even the, the best experts are not able to detect at far. They're able to detect tumors and cancers that even cancer uh, specialists are not able to detect and all kinds of miraculous things through photos. Now, that's because after being exposed to thousands and hundreds of thousands of photos, they can pattern recognize far better than any human can. So what happens when you apply that to video, quote unquote, real life? So somebody walks up to, you train these algorithms, these AIs, how to bake a batch of chocolate chip cookies. And you show them, here's how to make chocolate chip cookies. And you do that thousands of times from thousands of different people. And then the algorithm says, okay, I think I got it. I think I know what you're doing. You're going to make chocolate chip cookies. So you walk into your kitchen you say to the AI, hey, AI, I want to bake chocolate chip cookies. It says, okay, great. Go ahead and get started and I'll, and I'll assist you. And you reach for the bowl. And as soon as you make what seems to be outside of the realm of making chocolate chip cookies, like you reach for, I don't know, some coconut oil. And all of a sudden the AI will say, hey, uh, Bonehead, I don't think you want to do that. You can go ahead and put the coconut oil back down. Why don't you go ahead and reach for the bag of chocolate chips in over there and bring that closer to the bowl and go ahead and put that in, put in a little vanilla and a little bit, put this and this and this, and you already, oh, hang on, you already added salt. Let's not do that again. I think you put in enough salt based on the thousands of previous videos I've scanned. I think here's the best step forward at this point. And this is where AIs are going to get really, really interesting uh, going forward. So Facebook is working on this. They're calling it Ego 4D, which I think is a very clever name in the context that uh, it's about you and everything about you in four dimensions, meaning time, not just 3D, but pre, you know, your past and your future. Because the other examples they give is they expect and kind of the framework with which they're hoping to the problem set, which which they want to address with this technology, is the ability for you to augment your own memory and ask questions like, oh, what did my mom tell me to buy at the supermarket when I saw her yesterday? And they'll say, oh, she told you to do this, this, and this. So hence, Ego4D, you now exist in the past. You now have an augmented memory. So it's um, a very interesting initiative. Ego 4D. The next one is some data from the Financial Times. It says that tech investors and employees have netted $852 billion from U.S. IPOs and sales uh, so far this year, with 93 IPOs between July and September. And the next one's from Vice, that the FTC has notified more than 700 
companies, including Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft, and everybody, 700 companies, it's a lot of companies, that they could face penalties for violating the use of deceptive reviews. So if you are using fake or phony or deceptive reviews in promoting your products, you could face penalties of up to $43,792 per violation. So the FTC sent out notices to hundreds of companies, including AT&T, Dunkin' Donuts, Hulu, Macy's, and every company you can name, more than 700 of them. That's a lot. That's a whole shit. If you can name a company, yes, it's in that list. So all the companies are getting notified by the FTC. No more fake reviews, everybody. That's against the rules. So the next one is from the Daily Mail, that a UK judge rules in favor of a woman who claimed her neighbor's ring doorbell breached her privacy, potentially paving the way for similar lawsuits. Meaning, if your neighbor has a video camera, a security camera, and that security camera looks on your property, you can sue and say, you're violating my privacy. I have a right to my privacy on my property and your camera's on my looking at my property. And so a UK judge has ruled in favor of the woman who claimed that her neighbor's ring doorbell breached her privacy. And and they're deciding the amount and it appears it's going to be about $150,000. And they're right. If the, the potentially paving the way for similar lawsuits, absolutely. As soon as this one goes through, you're going to have a shit ton of people being like, oh, my neighbor's doing that to me too. I would like $150,000, please. The next one from the New York Times. Security researchers say plans by Apple and the EU to monitor phones for illicit material are ineffective and could embolden government surveillance. Well, you got that right. Well, that's the whole point. <laughs> Plans by the EU to monitor phones for illicit material could embolden government surveillance, you think? Yeah, this is in the New York Times. And I imagine this is all about Apple's, um, when Apple said they were going to be scanning for child abuse images and whatnot. Uh, More than a dozen prominent cybersecurity experts on Thursday criticized plans by Apple and the EU to monitor phones for illicit material calling the efforts an ineffective and dangerous strategies that would embolden government surveillance. And by the way, I I can imagine what this is going to say. These security experts are going to claim, we don't believe that you're doing this for the reasons you say you're doing it. We believe that you're really doing this because you, the state and Apple, this gets really interesting, folks. This one is really interesting. Because I, I can already sense, because I already I have friends already saying this in the background, that really when Apple came out and announced that we're going to be scanning your devices for, uh, what what's the word they're using here? Um, illicit material. That in reality, what's really going on, why is Apple doing that? Why is Apple really doing that? And why are other platforms also starting to do it simultaneously? Is that, that's a really weird coincidence. 
that Apple, who's got this long legacy and spent billions of dollars in marketing trying to convince you that they have privacy, are now have done a complete 180 and say, we're going to scan your devices for illicit material. Huh? I've bought thousands of dollars of your products over the years precisely on the premise that you won't do that. That we have privacy with all caps, italicize, 10,000 point font, privacy, privacy, privacy. You even changed your Apple logo to include a padlock looking shackle on the top to, and you know, you've even adjusted your sacred logo to look like a padlock. That's how big you are on privacy. And now you're telling me you're going to scan my devices? Huh? That doesn't sound like the Apple I know. And Apple geeks uh, that have been around from the beginning are legitimately a little confused. This certainly doesn't sound like the Apple that we know. And this is the security experts are, and others are saying, isn't it interesting that Apple's doing this at the same time as other tech companies? Is it possible that this they are real now that this the these tech companies who are in this really intricate dance with government and the government regulators are potentially handing over a tool to the governments a backdoor of sorts that they, of course, want. And they're the ones who are pulling the strings here and asking Apple to do this. Because what they're really, they're telling Apple, oh, yeah, we just want to look for illicit material, you know, uh, human trafficking, child abuse. Go ahead and give us access. Uh, it's, it's not going to be no problem at all. It's, everything will be lovely. And in reality, they just want into the devices. Once they build the road, they can drive on it as many times as they want. And that was what they were trying to do with the CSAM stuff. That's what this article is about from the New York Times. It says more than a dozen prominent cybersecurity. And by the way, they're going to point out that what you're claiming doesn't actually make sense technologically. So more than a dozen prominent cybersecurity experts on Thursday criticized plans by Apple and the EU to monitor people's phones for illicit material, calling the efforts ineffective and dangerous strategies that would embolden government surveillance. In a 46-page study, the researchers wrote that the proposal by Apple aimed at detecting images of child sexual abuse on iPhones as well as an, I as an idea forwarded by members of the EU to detect similar abuse and terrorist imagery on encrypted devices in Europe used, quote-unquote, dangerous technology. Here's the quote. It should be a national security priority to resist attempts to spy on and influence law-abiding citizens. The researchers wrote, the technology known as client-side scanning would allow Apple or, in Europe, potentially law enforcement officials. Ah, so in Europe, it would also enable law enforcement officials to detect images of child sexual abuse in someone's phone by scanning images uploaded to Apple's iCloud storage services. When Apple announced the planned tool in August, it said a so-called fingerprint of the image would be compared against a database of known sexual, known child sexual abuse material to search for potential matches. But the plan sparked an uproar among privacy advocates and raised fears that the technology could erode digital privacy and eventually be used by authoritarian governments to track down potential dissidents and other enemies. Apple said it would reject any such requests by foreign governments, but the outcry led it to pause the release of the scanning tool in September. 
The company declined to comment on the report released on Thursday. The cybersecurity researchers said that they had begun their study before Apple's announcement. Documents released by the European Union and a meeting with the EU officials last year led them to believe that the EU's governing body wanted a similar program that would scan not only for images of child sexual abuse, but also for signs of organized crime and indications of terrorist ties. Oh, so there's more than... We're already seeing other examples beyond the example that was initially being claimed was going to be the exclusive purpose. Even before Apple even announced it. A proposal to allow the photo scanning in the EU could come as soon as this year, the researchers believe. They said they were publishing their findings now to inform the European Union of the dangers of its plan. And because the expansion of the surveillance powers of the state really is passing a red line, says Ross Anderson, a professor of security and engineering at University of Cambridge and a member of the group. You know, that that really shady institution, University of Cambridge. This guy's clearly a pedophile trying to hide his porn. Aside from surveillance concerns, the researchers said their findings indicated that the technology was not effective at identifying images of child sexual abuse. What you're proposing technologically doesn't add up. So what are you really trying to do? But the thing is here that this with pattern recognition of just that kind of pictures that have been around for years, I think 10 years or something like that, we have a huge database of these checksums that we can check any picture against. So how can they claim that it doesn't work now? I beg to differ, actually. Within days of Apple's announcement, they said people had pointed out ways to avoid detection by editing the images slightly. Which there's actually yes, a lot. Yes, of, of course. Yeah, of course they do that. But the thing is here that the pattern recognition here is not for the complete picture. It is for, for delicate parts of the, the picture. They are actually picking out separate sections that where they actually uh, do this checksum checking. So you need to know where the checksum are picked. It's not the whole picture. It's parts of the picture that are the part that they are uh, fingerprinting. So no, yeah, if you know which part to edit, yes, of course. And that's actually available. You can actually find that in, in a database. And this is actually a Norwegian database that, that holds those. And there are millions of pictures in there. You want them. It's allowing scanning of personal private device without any probable cause for anything illegitimate being done, added another member of the group, Susan Landau, a professor of cybersecurity and policy at Tufts University. It's extraordinarily dangerous. It's dangerous for business, national security, for public safety, and for privacy. End of article. Oh, we have data in the room. Remember data? Yeah. It's Jonathan Scott. Okay. Cool. Let's see if you can. And this move. seems like a, a wiretap, an active wiretap on all phone on all phones versus now how I see it. Um, I mean, we have back doors in our in our telephones, but that requires an active measure to be targeted, either on the cloud or on the device. But this would actively on the device scan and essentially be like a wiretap for all of us. So check this out. So Columbia University has an article on this issue at Columbia.edu. The headline it says, 
Bugs in our pockets, the risks of client-side scanning. I, I'm not, is this, Columbia University, is this a pedophile ring? What, what are these people worried about? So data, we just read the New York Times article of security researchers trying to raise the alarm and drive awareness and stop the EU and Apple from executing a plan that would allow police officers in the EU to scan devices. And Columbia University and uh, Cambridge University professors uh, are signing up to say this is dangerous. We should not allow this to go through without being challenged. The idea of Apple doing this scan scanning and enabling governments to be able to do this scanning and whatnot, that this opens a Pandora's box that will be impossible to close. Is, is there reason to suspect or believe that these governments are trying to get into our devices um, in a way that should concern folks, users? Yes. Um yeah, absolutely. I just actually finished a live right now um, showing you how concerning this is. Uh, I, I've been actually exploiting this for years. Um, I went live the other day on Clubhouse. Many of you uh, that are here actually stayed through that long Clubhouse, uh, and I, I provided all the evidence of, of even the government knowing about this and me working with the government on it, actually. Um I'm whistleblowing on this entire uh, operation. Um, I will no longer be a party to it. Um, and uh, and I've been working with disclosure teams. I've been public about it, very public about it. Um, and then tonight, I actually ordered a brand new iPhone 13 Pro. I unboxed it in front of everyone. And I performed this exploit. It's on, pinned on my tweet on my Twitter right now. So there was a researcher named Dennis that had been wronged by Apple, uh, and it was public yesterday. And it actually, I mean, I was crucified the other day for actually putting out an exploit people didn't think was real. Uh, I think I sent it to you, Tyler. Mm -hmm. um, right. And now, so I was, the crucification was done with, but uh, the, the vindication was that this researcher that actually participated in his crucification was validated in his, in his um, vulnerabilities, and it was granted a CVE. Now, uh, the CVE was interesting because um, it was an analytics data CVE that was granted. Now, it didn't show that uh, it, he didn't actually show um, all of the data that he gathered, but what was specific about it was that it said that uh, Apple actually sent out an um, uh, you know, email to him and he posted it, and the impact for this CVE was a local attacker, a local attacker may be able to access analytics data. Furthermore, in his blog, he he was when he was actually you know posting about this, he specifically was stating what I have been stating for years, and I've been actually and I've written articles about this. It's all public that you can see um, that he's actually stating you know all of this information, uh, your health data, your your menstrual cycle information, um, you know all of these data points that are super super private and 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 um, uh, biological uh, you know data points. All these things he he even specifically states. That's why it's very hypocritical of Apple to claim that they deeply care about privacy. Again, 
I'm a human rights activist. I'm a women's rights activist. I'm a data privacy activist. People know this about me, and, and, and I'm very public about it. Many, many cases that I've uh, you know, conveyed this. Um, my point is, is that I did this live. Um, I upgraded the phone to iOS 15.0.2 live for everyone. Um, this was a very, you know, bold thing that people thought I was just doing. There's like, there's no way you're literally going to unbox a phone and show us a zero day. And I did. Um, this zero day um, is it, it was extensive. So um, it's gathering all of the all of the networks around you. Um, I showed I connected to my network uh, and, and made a fake network called Toontown. Uh, well, not a fake. It was just a you know, guest met network uh, called Toontown. And all of the all of the information, all the other SSIDs around me were captured, and I show this live. The infra and the and it shows the encryption type on there as well. I show this live, so it shows what encryption type uh, the each one of these SSIDs is holding. This is a real deal. I did a two-hour live on this uh, a while ago. Um, I've been capturing this this data and exploiting it. Um, it's another story. That, you know, many of you know. Um, this is not who I am anymore. I'm no longer selling these things. I'm not weaponizing this stuff anymore. Um, I was a party to it, and and my mission is to stop it from what I've created. Um, uh, this is um, this is real. This has to be taken very seriously, and I I, I can help stop it, 100% because uh, most of the things I wrote, I did not contribute to Pegasus spyware, but I've contributed to some other spywares. And um, yes, this maybe for another room, but but. Um, I'm on the good side now, and I'm trying to fight for us. Um, so is it and, is and it is, real. is it more? I mean, this is a, a softball question. I this with a. Uh, is it that Apple versus government in terms of? I, I get the sense that it's the government who's really governments are the ones that are eager to get at this. Um, it's surprise, and I guess the surprising bit is that Apple's playing along but maybe they don't really have much of a choice like uh right yeah 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 so so this is the question I've, I've actually had because um i don't believe that apple knows all of the data points that are actually able to be extracted um and, and this is this is the question right um every time that there's a new update on the um ios versions I'm able to gather at least 200, 300 more data points um, to right now I have over almost 6,000 data points and I show each one of them live um, and, and uh, you know, all these things, it's, it's, it's in, you know, in GitHub, you can see these things or in medium.com, right? All, you know, I posted everything on, on YouTube as well um, with links. Um, I don't know, Tyler, I, I don't, I wish I had the answer of like, who is doing this? I wish I had the answer, and, and this, my Pegasus research is, is leading me in one direction, but I, I don't want to disclose it yet until I have 100% proof. Well, I, ju I just retweeted your very recent um, video, your latest posting on YouTube, which, again, for those who don't know, this is quite un uh, cool what he's doing here. <clears throat> These live streams on YouTube where he takes a brand-new iPhone 13 Pro out of a brand-new box upgrades it to the the latest version of the operating system which is 15.0.2 and immediately pones the device with a zero day um making the device you know a, a a bunch of swiss cheese it gets right into the device and completely owns the device 
And this is with the latest updated software that you can't be more protected than that on this device. So the, you know, Apple's guy has to come clean on the knowledge. And he's even in this, uh, in his Twitter thread, if you go through it and you absolutely should go to his Twitter account in his bio here in clubhouse and follow him on Twitter because he's posting his YouTube videos to his Twitter account and doing these very nice step-by-step examples and and showing the proofs. I mean, normally you read headlines about this stuff, but these are like walkthrough videos of exactly step-by-step what, what the world needs to wake up to and, and showing the proof. I mean, it's one thing to say we found a zero day. It's another thing to show it on video. Like, look, here it is. Here's the device, you know, Tyler. Yeah. I've got a couple of questions for data if I could. Yeah. Um, the first is if you take the SIM card out of your iPhone and you do whatever measures you can to lock it down, stop syncing to the cloud, etc. what are the vulnerabilities that you still have? That's question one. And then question two is, and maybe Chris can help with this as well. If you, if you have a burner phone with a SIM card, do you are you exposed to more than just turning on the microphone and uh, the camera? Yes. Yeah, so My thought too. process. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'm just going to address what y- you asked. My thought process is, I'm assuming all devices are fully ownable, um, and and then. I'm reducing my threat surface, the attack vector surface, by maintaining a cellular connection and not allowing uh, perpetrators that are able to compromise this particular device um, access to my home network. It, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I actually, in this, this brand new video, I, I didn't have a SIM card in. I literally unboxed it from scratch. Like It came from a package from UPS. Unbox it in front of everyone. Literally brand new, no SIM card in there at all. There's no. Uh, but what's happening is this: um, it, we're the exploit is going through the SS7 um, protocol, which is real. Um, it's dangerous. People, uh, a lot of people have addressed this before, but it's been swept under the rug. What I'm saying is, um, it doesn't matter if you have a SIM card in your device. Um, so my wife and I are engineers, and we 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 have. Um, honestly, probably thousands of devices that we we work on together, um, and and uh, and whenever these emergency amber alerts or or silver alerts, you know, happen, and we're working on these devices, it goes off on all of the devices. It doesn't matter if there's a SIM card in them or not, right? So we're always connected. We're always these devices are always talking back to the towers and getting this information, pulling and and pushing information. So that's the first part. It does not matter if you try to protect yourself without a SIM card or whatnot. Um, the data is leaving, and, and it is the the proof is 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 damning, and and I actually show this at my iOS experiment that I actually have in my thread, and I actually have in my YouTube um, uh, uh, description, uh, and I, I take you through step by step, literally step by step, and show you screenshots. I show you the proofs. You're being auto connected to networks that you have no idea that you're being auto connected to. The information that that you you can not you can be signed out of your iCloud uh, account uh, and um, and you can I literally the experiment that I show is very very specific so that there could be no question like well you were connected before this and that you're 
computer and your phone are are if they're if they're Macs, they are creating a connection. I show the proof. I show the code, and um, and I, and I show the videos. Uh, and you know that it's really happening. Um, so hopefully that explains that part. Now a burner phone, um, can this help you with you know the cameras? It, you know it depends on what kind of burner phone it is. But um, uh, you know if it's a flip phone, um, you know that it. My research for Pegasus spyware is is very clear. Um, you know I'm I I've shown this as well live. Uh, that uh, you know my research that I am doing. I'm working with flip phones, old LG flip phones, even. Um, you know, old, old uh, Galaxy phones, uh, you know, Galaxy Flight 2s um, with, you know, you know, Symbian OS on them. Um, the spyware exists in there. Um, this is a real, real issue. And for those that are wondering what I'm describing as a burner phone is simply an older iPhone. Like I, this is an iPhone 7 Plus. I've come, you know, I've wiped it. Uh, data will tell me that, that that doesn't mean anything and I'll agree with him. Um, but my main thing is I'm reducing the threat surface. My my theory is if they can even identify your IP, then they have enough information to really start penetrating your network. And that's where more and more holes are going to exist. So I'm compartmentalizing it. This is my sacrificial anode, for lack of a better word. Um, I have nothing on it. It's just got this app and uh, uh, I think Instagram mm. just to verify people. Yeah, but you need to disable the camera which you don't need in clubhouse but you also got to be careful with the microphone having access even when you're not in clubhouse in the event that you say things that could be kind of social engineered you know yep you're 100 percent correct yes i i do show in my videos too the waking points of of um you know when when i've actually pulled down these analytics which hopefully you know with this someone you know showing something similar and then me and my own unique method of gathering these analytics, people will start paying attention because um, I've shown the videos, I've posted the analytics data, um, you know, uh, and people again dismiss it as bunk, but uh, you know, it, it, it takes time, right? I'm not giving up to, to get this message out. But my point is I've shown where the device wakes up, um, you know, and, and the services that are running, the actual database is beautiful. It's so, it's amazing beautiful database it's a SQLite database the tables and the I mean just everything about it you don't get an export like that um, you know and if you're running just you know debug code you, you don't this how I'm actually obtaining these things I show you how to do it and it's so beautiful the execution the engineering is amazing and and I say that because I respect what's being done I know it's not right what's being done but you can see the wake points of the device um, and 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 the the data that I show on um, this database, I go back to the this one of the databases I show is 2016, when the device is waking up on its own. The microphones uh, are are enumerating on their own, and we can see this. And I show a graph in the, in the database, so you can see these data points. Um, you know, I've put everything out for everyone to to see and try for themselves, and 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 I do encourage people to try this on your own if you are a forensic expert. Um, please, uh, you know, many of you know me here in Clubhouse. Uh, you, you, you've you've been in many of the rooms that I've spoken in. I encourage you to please try this on your own. Um, I've even put out a tool that Apple has uh, has silenced um, that that actually uh, you're able to do this on your own if you install it on your Mac. This is not something I've put out. It actually pulls from the uh, um, archive.org because they they removed the first link that I had put up. Um, they 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 shut it down 
but it was still in archive.org. Um, I'm, I'm sure if you look through the feed, um, just look for um, you know uh, uh, core capture. It's called core capture in, in, in my feed. Um, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, Tyler. Sure. So the uh... hold on, Tyler. Can I ask Data something? Uh, data, we are going to have a cybersecurity room next Wednesday set up. Uh, I've DM you, so if you are free, please join us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It says 14 of history's most important computer scientists and security experts rip into CSS a gov proposal to put intercept software in every phone and in practice destroy the efficacy of cryptography. And the Columbia University article titled Bugs in Our Pocket, the Risk of Client-Side Scanning is signed by 14 uh, faculty at uh, Columbia University in the computer science department and whatnot. So it's, you know, these are not, uh, these are informed individuals who are loudly raising the concerns uh, as to the slippery slope that this could put us on and to think very carefully. And as we were saying, and, and, and appreciate the help of uh, data here to try and figure out what, what is the real motive here? Because it doesn't, not all seems as it appears, uh, not not <laughs> uh, something seems odd here behind the scenes as to what's really driving all of this. It doesn't. It's because it started out with, oh, we're just looking for child abuse images. It seems like there, this that's not really what this is about. It seems like there's more to the story that is not being told here. That so it's going to that as he said, there's going to be some interesting. Uh, uh, more to come out of this in the near future, I suspect, because there's people like Data and Edward Snowden who are involved in doing these things, who are the, you know, the kind of the folks the, that are, um, you know, eventually feel like, you know what, uh, the people need to know what's going on here because governments are trying to do things that the citizens need to be aware of that the governments are, you know, so we we're likely to have another Snowden type incidents with regard to uh, government's desires to collect information in ways that uh, it's not totally upfront. So Tyler, can I go down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole sure. here? So we know about the uh, Bloomberg China chip story about the super micro servers with the interstitial PCB injection of uh, spyware type chips. What if they're replacing the whole fleet and that wasn't uh, was actually an inside job? And now they're kind of bringing to light this new mechanism because the servers aren't owned anymore. They now need to worry about the client side, and you know, because they're kind of acting like this hasn't been going on for years and years and years, right? And that's what I mean is it's kind of like coming out, and now they're making the device manufacturers the bad guy instead of, you know, just admitting they've been doing it the entire time, and they now need a new methodology. And, and so that's my conspiracy theory, because like, why, why is it coming out now, right? I mean. Snowden came out how long ago? Seven, eight years ago. Prism, all these programs we've been aware of, all these, all these methods of getting into the iPhone. You know, it's been well, well documented, and and now we know that you know Pegasus and these other software or these other hacks are able to happen. You know, through the air, 
Like, you know, Pegasus, I believe, was like, if you get a missed call, you're hacked, right? That that was how it seemed to work. And so um, why now? Why is this coming out now? Is it because the servers are now actually secure? Um, I'd I, love to hear, you know, Data's opinion. I think in part else. because the tech companies are starting to promote uh, end-to-end encryption and the governments get a little nervous about that. And they want to make sure they've got their... You know, the day there, I think they were able to get a lot of what they needed. And if if the devices start promoting end to end encryption and consumer here, the issue is the consumer is starting to get a little more educated about encryption and people are going over to, um, you know, signal and whatnot. And they see this and I think they're starting to realize, ah, shit, we got to make sure that in this future where people wise up and start taking more precautions we, that we've got our steady flow of info. I imagine that that's got something to do with it, but yeah, you're, you're actually right, Tyler. Um, I can see, and, and, and I can, I can corroborate what you're saying. Um, there had to be a shift, right? So it's not, it's not over there. It's essentially what Tyler's saying is there's a shift, right? Because of the technology changes, there had to be a shift in the way that data was stored. Um, and, the, and, um, and, and, this is where uh, the CSAM stuff comes in, right? The, you, we're now looking at hashes, right? We're looking at, um, you know, Apple's new, um, you know, quantum data, quantum uh, conspiracy is what I like to call it. Um, but uh, so the, where essentially they say that um, all of your data is being stored in this, this giant hash and that no one can have it. Well, I actually dumped it two days ago, um, this hash that's you're not supposed to have and secures all your data. Um, and, but, but you're right. That's the, you're right. What's happening, Tyler. I, mm. I can prove all of that you're saying. Yes. Mm. It's going to be interesting. And of course it's worth, I think it's worth underscoring spend here, uh, underscoring data. I'm sure you can corroborate that end to end encryption is useless when the ends are compromised, right? hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So if we do want to, uh, sorry, Tyler, Go ahead. take another 30 seconds. Yeah. Data. If we do want to communicate completely privately data for some reason, you and I, right, if we meet, we swap, we, we physically exchange a couple of hard drives that are full of properly high entropy random data, one time cipher pads. Uh, we put them, you know, we, and we're confident that each of us trust each other. And we're confident that when we separate and go back to our respective countries or whatever, that those haven't been messed with or intercepted. Obviously, it depends on that. If we then do that and send each other gargled text messages that are one time cipher substituted, and then we decode on paper or offline, can we then be, can we then be, we can then presumably be 100% sure we're communicating privately right is that about the only scenario in which we can and are there any if compromises to that if we're sending text um this is where this is where the um the interception comes in um it, so so the ss7 protocol is 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 pretty amazing um now if we have our own cipher uh, i am that is different right uh, and that's what you were saying right our own cipher like yeah, one, our own like yeah the, you're right yes Yes, I would 100% agree with what you're saying, 100%. Um, I, I, I agree with this. I, I developed my own cipher, but it is tough because we would have to have, um, essentially, you have to have the uh, the unlocker, right? <laughs> um, but but yes, that is, the, like, we can only have, it's just you and me, no one else. There's no storage. I mean, I agree with you, yes having our own ciphers and i'm sure someone more intelligent than me can figure out how to do this but uh you know i i plan on 
soon putting out this cipher that I've written that hopefully can help us with this data security. Just talking code. Okay. Data, you ought to have a look at the U.S. startup called Start9 Labs. The nine is like the number. Okay, thank you. So I'll check it out. Okay. So the next topic is a bunch of fund kind of financial stuff. GitLab closes up 35% in its NASDAQ debut, now at a $15 billion market cap. And Reliable Robotics, which aims to replace pilots with robots on commercial cargo planes, raises $100 million. Um, And Chris Anderson, the, the creator of Wired, actually tweeted about it, saying the future of flight is autonomous. Uh, which I th- Ben, can you comment on that? You're you're a pilot, right? And it's already. I mean, the there's quite a bit of autonomous. Uh, I mean, airplanes have predated cars in this regard in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. The at the moment, the, the airliners are hugely autonomous in in lots of phases of their flight. In fact, you're not even allowed to manually land them in, in bad weather. But that does depend on a lot of sophisticated equipment at the airport for the Cat Three C and above auto lands and stuff. So. Um, general autonomy, it's the last mile problem, right? In the same way as you can, you can stick a Tesla on a highway, it does fine. Um, you can stick a, uh, you know, uh, a GM crew, GM car on cruise on the highway does great. It's the last little bit. If you watch the FSD videos, you see that it's the pulling out of the park in the first place and they're actually parking at the final end. Um, and that's kind of important with flight, you know, the, so, so I, I think it's going to need a little more on the ground than people are maybe estimating, but absolutely it's, it's, it's easier than, than cars because there's just less going on and there's more opportunity to miss each other in the air. In 2d, you're constrained to a 2d plane uh, and worse than that, you're constrained to roads that all cross over each other and stuff. Whereas at least in the sky, there's, there's a lot, it's called the big sky theory. You know, there's a lot less chance of just hitting something. So collisions are less likely. Um, yeah, it's certainly doable, but it just depends on, what extent you imagine that happening to if you want to get that hop in your private garden in something and just get it to take you somewhere then there's a there's a few more challenges to do that completely autonomously but it's all happening for sure i don't know what your specific like question was but that's like my, my no just i people. think a lot of uh, pilots know but non-pilots aren't aware to how to what degree autonomous you know has been happening in aviation yeah, it's, it's pretty autonomous. Interestingly, there's some few, few major things the plane can't do for itself on a commercial plane. It doesn't put its own undercarriage down. It doesn't configure it. It doesn't configure itself without slats, flaps and that sort of stuff. Um, there's no fundamental reason it couldn't, but they don't. Um, but yeah, they pretty much entirely apply themselves. And it is true that, um, that they land themselves, especially in bad weather. And they don't really take themselves off. We do that manually still. Um, but they land themselves and they fly themselves A to B. Um, but you've got to be there to do a few crucial things, but they're kind of almost unnecessary. Okay. So next up is the app in, in the past three months, Apple captured 75% of overall handset profits with only 40% of revenue uh, and only 13% of global smartphone shipments. So that's, that's a smart company right there. (laughs) <laughs> making the bulk of the profits with 13% of the actual smartphone shipments. The next one from Gizmodo. They just came out with this one very recently. It's an update on our friend Ashley Govic over there at Apple, who raised concerns about vaporous toxic chemicals under Apple's Sunnyvale office, says the company used leaking as an 
absurd excuse to fire her. So Ashley's got herself back in the news today. The reasons for firing Ashley Govic include tweeting a photo of herself taken by her own phone. It wasn't very hard to tell which way the wind was blowing. Ashley Govic had even been warned. Somewhere inside Apple, friends and co-workers assured her higher-ups were having a con- con- conservation. I think they mean a conversation. <laughs> they have a typo there, Gizmodo. They were having a conversation, not a conservation, about how to force her out of a job. There was even consensus among these allies about the route they would take, that she had violated her confidentiality agreement or placed some proprietary asset at risk. The only thing giving the then senior engineering program manager any pause or hope was that Apple itself didn't seem concerned about either. Despite placing her on leave and instructing her to avoid colleagues, the company made no attempt to keep her from viewing any sensitive data. She says, I hadn't lost any of my access account access. I still had access to the next four years of Mac roadmap. I still had access to source code from future releases. I still had access to concept review documents. Unfortunately for Jovic, her friends were right on the money. The hammer fell. Well, by the way, we predicted this as well. Like when Ashley started uh, kind of kicking up some dust over at Apple, and the first time we read that article, I said, oh, they're going to find a way to dismiss her. They're looking for ways to get her out of the company, guaranteed. Because like she's on a she's on a storm. I mean, she's just kicking up all kinds of dust over there. So... There, yeah, there was a consensus. Um, uh, the only thing, uh, unfortunately for Govic, her friends were right on the money. The hammer fell in early September with the arrival of an email request to speak privately about a sensitive intellectual property matter right away. Emails show Govic agreed to cooperate, telling the company she was happy to help, although Apple claimed the matter was serious, so no discussion would ever take place. Govic's repeated attempts to Accede to demands were flatly ignored. Emails between the two parties show. Amid the back and forth, Govic had only one stipulation. The conversation should be recorded in writing. Given the, the souring of their relationship and other ongoing legal matters, documenting the investigation seemed prudent. If not necessary, not some gratuitous attempt to evade scrutiny, but Apple ignored the request entirely as, as if she'd simply said no. Since you have chosen not to participate in the discussion, a second email Giovic read, we will move forward with the information that we have. Her access to the company systems was suddenly suspended. Govic tried once more. I am definitely willing to participate in your investigation, she wrote, reiterating that she wanted everything in print. I'd really like the opportunity to remedy any actual issues, she said. Please let me know what the issues are so I can make a good faith attempt at that. The next email said she'd been fired among the reasons Apple provided. She'd failed to cooperate with what the company called its investigatory process. It offered no specifics about the matter of the intellectual property, which Apple implied she'd somehow violated. Nearly a week would pass before she'd hear anything more. Jovic 35 had become persona non grata at Apple after raising concerns internally this spring about the vaporous toxic toxins long known to have tainted the soil beneath her Sunnyvale office. Among other polluters, in the 1970s, a microwave component maker had once occupied the site that let a slurry of acids, heavy metals, and industrial solvents soak into the ground. A groundwater plume made made of toxic waste 
once extended for more than a mile, encompassing schools and hundreds of homes. One of the more dangerous compounds was uh, trichloroethylene, better known as TZE, and the ground beneath Jovic's office, known internally as Steward One, was evacuated or excavated, sorry, in the mid 1980s and backfilled with gravel and concrete, one of the several efforts to mitigate the contamination. Late in the evening of September 15th, less than a week after Jovic was fired, a letter popped up in her inbox. It was from a high-powered law firm. Its previous clients include Donald Trump, whom the lawyers defended over the massive scam known as Trump University. The letter asked her to remove certain images and video that she had posted on social media, a violation it claimed of a confidentiality agreement she signed six years ago after stating, after starting at Apple. It didn't point to any sensitive documents. None of the material, in fact, was particularly relevant to the charges she laid against the company. Instead, it listed two tweets. The first included a photo of Govic taken by her own phone. The second tweet had never garnered much attention, and there was a good reason for it. The information it contained wasn't new, nor was it particularly newsworthy. The photo of Govic contained in tweet number one was captured by an app called Glimmer, which is exclusive to Apple employees. The app takes short videos of users whenever they pick up their phones, tests the company conducts to improve its facial recognition technology. The tweet number two was a handful of email screenshots inviting Govic to volunteer for an in-person study in which high-resolution 3D scans would be taken of her ears. Both tweets were redacted by Govic to guard the company email accounts and other details. Govic deleted the tweets as asked, but retained counsel to respond to Apple. Uh, One of the nation's leading patent litigators sent the company a letter on her behalf, dismantling Apple's claims bit by bit. Um, Anywho, so the photos taken by Glimmer, shared with The Verge in August for a debut, you have also... Ah, so this is apparently, according to Ashley, this is why Ashley thinks they fired her was for this photo she used of a internal only app, uh, etc. So she's now explaining to Gizmodo why she thinks she was fired. And um, so that's why the headline says Apple wanted her fired. It settled on an, an, an absurd excuse. The reasons for firing Ashley include tweeting a photo of herself taken by her own phone with but it doesn't mention that it's on an app that was for only for Apple employees, etc. And so Gizmodo's um, interesting move on Gizmodo's part, because Gizmodo depends on Apple for a lot of information for uh, being a tech blog. However, Gizmodo's very unique in that they are already on Apple's eternal shit list. So Gizmodo is unique in that they might not have a lot to lose. There might be one of the only tech blogs Ashley could go to because Gizmodo around 2009 came under the wrath of one Steve Jobs because Gizmodo got access to the, I believe it was iPhone 3 that an Apple employee left at a bar near Apple campus. The 4 because it was so different. It was, uh, was it people four? didn't think it was it. And then then at that point, Steve became no friend of Gizmodo and Brian Lamb, who was the editor at that time. And Steve, being Steve, made it pretty clear Gizmodo's going to be on the shit list of Apple henceforward. 
And so maybe that's why Gizmodo's writing this negative Apple piece and pro Ashley Giovic piece, um, making Apple look bad. They might not have a lot to lose. They might not be so welcome to Apple marketing events and whatnot. And uh, that's why they're willing to uh, write a kind of piece that's making Apple look bad in their case against Ashley Govic. So the next one is uh, uh, um, the Wall Street Journal says they have sources that Yana Partners or Jana Partners, J-A-N-A, took a stake in Macy's and is urging the retailer to spin off its e-commerce business, which has about $8 billion in annual revenue. Twitter will begin offering paid ticketed spaces on Android in the U.S. And there was a uh, Twitter spaces room yesterday that Cal and I listened in on, and they gave updates about their their Clubhouse clone. They're now launching the 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 hallway the hallway exists but only for select users who have the button to access the hallway in the bottom of their phone and they're now rolling that out widely to all uh apple users currently so that should be enabled over the weekend and that could likely this is of concern to clubhouse i would imagine because once the hallway feature exists for twitter spaces now you can see all of the rooms available and that could likely make the room sizes balloon quite largely in Twitter spaces. And they also just launched their own um, accelerator uh, financial incentive program to pay $2,500 a month to Twitter space creators. And there's an application for that. I forget what the how to find it. But um, they're going to pay people to make Twitter space content. Cheryl, you wanted to say something? No. Is it called Spark? Yes, that's right. It's called Spark is the name of the program. And they said it's going to be a series where they're going to accept a group initially and then let that run for three months and then do have a, have a second class and a third class and whatnot. I'm trying to think if there was other interesting revelations from that, uh, call there was there was a couple if you'll bear with me one of them was what the a couple of interesting features they're going to be rolling out as part of their twitter spaces it escapes me at the moment but yeah some interesting features they have planned so next up is uh, also the paid ticketed spaces for android um short form video app called clash which which bought byte in january launches as a place for creators to monetize their top fans from bigger platforms like tiktok groove which provides customer service software for small medium businesses raises 45 million a u.s court filing details how fraudsters used an ai to clone a uae company's director's voice to steal 35 million dollars last year so it's the first widely known case of a deep fake voice called a voice print where they cloned the boss's voice and called the assistant and said, Hey, can you please log into my account and send $35 million to this other account? And she did because she thought she was talking to her boss. And Twitter begins twisting ads in replies instead of just inside of the tweet 
stream. Now, when you click on a tweet and you see the replies, you'll now see ads in the replies. So that's sort of the end of the big, boring, big headlines that everyone's sharing right now. And now we get into the fun tweets. To ban Okay. Tyler. Yes. I tweeted one out about Russia and crypto. Go ahead. Um, they have now, uh, Putin's flip-flopped. He's now considering accepting crypto for payments, for broader payments. And it would be really fascinating because it could be potentially used for like import payments, like in terms of supply chain. Hmm. Very fascinating. But he's flip-flopping because remember how they were like, oh, no crypto, no crypto. Now it's uh, flip-flopping. I tweeted it out with the article as well. Okay. I also tagged you, so we'll, we I tagged will, you. So you I'm, I'm about see. twenty. I'm I'm catching up to twenty deep. <laughs> no, no, I'm more. I'm more like uh, five hundred deep in the tweets currently. I, I have about. It's why when there's something like that, because the market's really seeing quite an interesting turn. And thank you, Jonathan, Data, Jonathan, for sharing what you shared. It was such a really pleasure to listen to that. And I think that this is also what leads. To many people to start looking at how could they engage in different ways where there's more transparency and more equitability across the board, especially when it comes to payments and, and remittances, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's also another, you know, the monetary system has always been notoriously nefarious. You know, what's good for them is not good for us, you know? And that's something very interesting because that whole veil is being lifted on that and it's becoming very transparent with the P panama papers and the pandora papers it's really very interesting what is going on in the world today so anyone else have i, I have 24 hours of tweets i'm i'm about 23 hours behind on the tweet Tyler, streams Tyler, yes it's baby yeah um, can i add a further information about the link in china because in the beginning uh, the article didn't mention that Although the link in China will be shut down sooner, but there we're replaced with another site. It's called InJobs. And it will launch later this year. Uh, it's according to Lu Jian, it's the president of the China Lincoln. So um, I saw, I tweeted another article uh, mentioning this because the previous article you posted uh, did mention the InJobs. Um, they replace it because LinkedIn right now is the last major foreign social media network in China. And I think the problem comes from the social feature part, not the job matching part. And we saw the journalists were banned from um, the, the articles they shared. So in that article, they said they are gonna, they're gonna provide only job matching opportunities in the in-jobs and we're shut down all the interactions between the users. So such like sharing articles and the replies to those articles we're not providing the future in jobs site. So I think because LinkedIn like this year because Clubhouse the success, so many, many social media apps like try to provide more social social features. So LinkedIn also tested uh, oh, live audio functions, but um, although they didn't launch it, but uh, that's why, um, because China government, we all know CCP government only wanted, only wants the controlled media, so like the Weibo or Baidu. So that's why they 
announced they're going to shut down Link in China. But uh, so basically, Microsoft, we're going to provide a replacement. Um, so uh, let's say a little more for that news. Yeah. Okay. I'm done. Okay. Thank Thanks for that. Hi. Tyler, there's a question from audience. Uh, besides the uh, the news that you uh, share on Twitter at uh, TNATW, mm -hmm. where are your usual source of these top headlines? What? What is what? Is, ask the question again, please. Yeah, uh, the source of your top headlines are besides those that you retweet on uh, TNATW. It's a proprietary source. <laughs> You have to come to Tech News Around the World Live to listen, okay? Thank you. Laser treatment for menopausal women is fake therapy, researchers say. According to a recent study, laser treatment given to women in clinics does nothing to ease the effects of menopause. I, I wasn't even aware there was such a thing. What yeah. Did you just tweet that out, Yes, Tyler? I did. Uh, that, what was the source? Um techtimes.com that's really interesting i've never heard of any treatment of that sort yeah so me neither it's a little bit and i'm a woman and yeah it's very interesting let so me, there's uh, let me take a peek at this there's a uh, a whole bunch of i'm seeing a whole bunch of tweets of this one of nearly 400 google and amazon employees called for those companies google and amazon to end a billion dollar contract with the israeli government Hundreds of Google, well, nearly 400, Google and Amazon employees call for their companies to cut ties with the Israeli military. Employees criticized Project Nimbus, a contract the two companies signed to sell cloud services to Israel. Hundreds of, it was in a, oh, they it's an open, employees signed an open letter published in The Guardian on Tuesday condemning Project Nimbus, a $1.2 billion contract signed by the two companies to sell cloud services to the Israeli military and government. <clears throat> this technology allows for further surveillance of and unlawful data collection of... Da, da, da. It's a cloud. It's cloud storage. So Google and Amazon, there's, th there's essentially three big cloud companies. Google Cloud... Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft Azure. Those are the three companies. If you want to do computing, this if you want to do stuff with computers, you need a cloud for that data, right? It's, it's basically a bunch of computers in a warehouse for the information. You, you need this. You can't do computing without clouds. You could. You could do what's called peer-to-peer, P2P, which is more similar to like how Bitcoin operates or like Skype originally. Um, but now everything's moving to clouds. You need clouds to do computing. And there are three cloud companies, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. So if you're going to do anything with a computer or a phone, you're going to need clouds. And <clears throat> what happens on those clouds? Anything can happen on those clouds. Anything in all of computing. So... The employees at Google and Amazon are saying, hey, Google and Amazon, uh, we understand you You enable people to have clouds in, all over the world for all different companies, countries, and da-da-da. Uh, don't sell them to Israel. Don't let Israel have 
computers, use computers, because they might be but using them just... in negative ways. Well, you could have it on your own premises, the so-called on-prem instead of in the public cloud. But what gets you is that a lot of the services that you need are already hosted on one of these clouds. So you may have your own apps on your on-prem, but then you sign up to some CRM, customer relationship management or enterprise resource planning software and all of that stuff is on cloud. And then furthermore, if you can't get it from Google, you go get it from a reseller that then hosts it on any of the others. You could go to Equinix and it's a multi-cloud thing. So the whole request fund kind of seems ludicrous to me. It's just like not enforceable. Well, the, the premise of their point, and they stated here by saying, here's the quote, this technology allows for further surveillance of an unlawful data collection of Palestinians and facilitates expansion of Israelis' illegal settlements in Palestinian land. Well, I got news for you. That shit was happening long before the cloud. Yeah, and actually electricity does that too. So it's like if... Before before it, you eat... It's a very curious... That shit was going on before you were fucking born, you stupid engineer. Yeah, I don't think you need cloud to do that. No, this has nothing to do with clouds. We cannot look the other way as the products we build are used to deny Palestinians are basic... I'll go on the record. I've been to Palestine. I like Palestine. I got no problem with Palestine at all. I would encourage you to visit... I had a wonderful time, went to Bethlehem, the whole nine. I got no problem. I wish I could go to Gaza. I would love to go to Gaza. I would love to help Gaza uh, entrepreneurs. I would love to see tech come. I would love to see Palestine do more, you know, innovation, problem solving. Tech. All I got no beef with Palestine. But, uh, and and I think is I, I'm not a big fan of... Um, the, the conflict that's going on over there, I, I, I empathize in many ways with, uh, you know, the, the difficulties in the region. But the, the idea that the cloud is somehow playing a key role in this is a little hard to swallow. As I said, this was going on long before the cloud. We cannot look the other way as these products were used to deny Palestinians their basic rights, force Palestinians out of their homes and attack. No, it's the fucking tanks that are forcing them out of their homes, not the fucking cloud. That are forcing them out of their homes and attack Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. No, those those are that's the, what you're talking about are called airplanes with bombs. That's what's causing lots of problems in Gaza. Actions that the have thing is here that the thing is here that I know that Americans are a bit illiterate about the, the European history, but you really, these guys really need to read the history about Israel, Gaza, and the whole shebang. Yeah, it has been a, a, a havoc since the beginning, and it was a bad idea from the beginning. But, but having such, actually, I would use the term woke approach to the Gaza conflict is so millennial so it actually beeps in my ears you i'm done so it says amazon and google have pl have faced employee backlash for years over contracts signed with immigration and customs enforcement and customs and border protection em employees not directly involved with the work are often not made aware of these deals which have involved 
providing clerical tools, cloud services, and surveillance tools to the controversial federal agencies. Holy shit, they're using Microsoft Word. Hey, Microsoft, they're using Microsoft Word uh, over there in Israel. You got to shut that shit down because that's the app they're using to take notes of people's names over there. Are you fucking kidding me? In May, in May, 500 Amazon employees signed a separate letter to Jeff Bezos and Andy Jassy asking the company to cut ties with the Israeli Defense Forces and support Palestinians. Yeah, Palestine, Palestinians can use fucking clouds. There's, there's nothing. They're, they're welcome to use the same technology. My, Palestinians own smartphones. They got iPhones, Android phones. They got all. They got all kinds of technology over there. Although they are limited by the telecom towers, which I, I'm speaking uh, on on hearsay here, but from what I've heard, Israel does go to great lengths to control the uh, cell phone signals that go into Palestine. That's a really interesting scenario of does, does Palestine actually have uh, internet uh, on their own terms, which I... I doubt they do. I imagine Israel takes great lengths to control the data that goes in and out of the West Bank and Gaza. Knowing Israel, they're, they're, it's not coincidentally, that's the the epicenter of expertise on the issues of cybersecurity. So <laughs> I, I have to assume they know every bit and bite that's going in and out of Palestine, that's a that's a separate what, but I think a far more interesting issue. Anywho, back to the article. Tuesday's open letter noted that Project Nimbus contract was signed during a violent week in Gaza, when the Israeli military reportedly killed hundreds of Palestinians, including sixty-six Palestinian children. In May, the Palestinian militant group Hamas fired rockets into Israel, and Israel responded with a series of airstrikes. <sighs> Yeah, the cloud is ubiquitous at this point. Everyone's using the cloud. Israel's using the cloud. Palestine has cloud. Yeah, at this point, even Cuba has some cloud. Like, this is just, it's like air at this point. It's computers. It's, uh, anyway. That was actually quite a good quote, that cloud has become the air of the, the internet. That was actually a very, very good quote. Well, that that was my quote, but... Uh, I just you yeah 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 that's exactly you have made a, a stunning quote that the thing is i will actually use it if i may because <laughs> that was actually a very very good one it sums up the thing is that the clouds and the major gafam google apple facebook and the others they have become the air that we need to breathe our affairs and our and our social life so yeah congratulations tyler you made it again okay so the next one is a robot and it looks like a Boston Dynamics robot, although it doesn't necessarily appear to be. Uh, and I just tweeted it out. This robot is training to become a construction worker. And it shows the robot picking up sheets of what we call drywall in America and hammering it onto a wall, building a house. A robot working as a construction worker. Nailing and drilling drywall to building a house. I mean, that's what he's Christ, doing. the pitchforks are just going to get bigger, man. Literally, like uh, two afternoons ago, I'm like, I think construction's probably the last frontier. 
Like dry, I don't think someone's going to replace a drywaller anytime soon. So the next one is Ghost Robotics. A company called Ghost Robotics now makes a lethal robot dog made by Ghost Robotics. I'm tweeting it out now. You can see this killer robot dog. A lethal robot dog. And a model now comes with a sniper type rifle mounted on top. Killer dogs. I remember, yeah, three months ago, as I said, be a dog, robot dog, go kill a tank. I said three months ago. Okay, here we go. Next up, um, the do, 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 Tina sends this one in. Near record rainfall could hit the Bay Area soon. God knows they need it. Holy cow, California needs water desperately, and let's hope they get tons of rain, as this article says. And then our friend Jeremiah shares this article is congress too old to regulate big tech yep the answer to that question is yes (laughs) the answer to that question is a hundred thousand percent correct yes with the exception of amy klobuchar who happens to be younger happens to show indicate that she understands tech and perhaps not a coincidence that she seems to be at the forefront of uh the tech uh regular regulation situation in the u.s the next one from Monica, our friend Monica sends in this one that Elon Musk just taught a huge lesson to every CEO in America. How did Tesla post record sales when sales at all the other car companies have plummeted? In the last quarter, General Motors sales dropped 33%. Ford Motor sales dropped 27%. Tesla production was up 73%. How did Tesla post record sales when the sales of other car companies plummeted due to chip shortage. Next one from Faraz. Amazon seeks to purchase used long-range cargo jets. Amazon is shopping for used long-range Boeing and Airbus cargo planes, according to people familiar with the matter. Maybe because people have a hard time shipping shit around the world at the moment on... um, big cargo containers and Amazon can have an interesting opportunity to take over long haul shipments through planes and ease a lot of bottlenecks and the financial landscape around transportation and logistics is rapidly evolving and Amazon could really being the perhaps the most data driven analytical data uh, logistics shipping company on the planet could really um, make some interesting moves if they were to acquire a whole bunch of long-range cargo planes. The thing is here, you should be aware that since I've been in the industry, not for cargo, but for people transport, and the thing is here that the fuel economics of the old old airplanes are horrific, as well as the environmental impact of the vessel in total. I wonder if they really have thought about that part of the calculus as well, the, the backlash they can get from taking the ones that are now running around on the last fumes and, and take them. Of course, the ones that uh, I know that DHL and Schenker, uh, as well as UPS planes, they are the latest, latest greatest of, of environmental reasons. So going backwards might not be as productive as they thought. I think the thing is with the ports being so jammed, right, they're looking more at the uh, opportunity cost loss. Right, and if a lot of these um, a lot of these packages are ultimately going to end up at Amazon anyway, they can at least monetize that part of the supply chain that they didn't have an opportunity to monetize. Yeah, 
Um, also, so. with the bigger, with the older planes, they're they're much better for cargo, and they can also retrofit them with some newer tech. But I I was thinking that maybe this means they tried to acquire UPS and they couldn't do it, so they're going to do it themselves. But they've been trying to become a FedEx, UPS, DHL themselves for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, Suramini sends in this one from the Economic Times of India. China's power crisis will affect industries worldwide. The problem is that coal isn't getting any cheaper. After a sustained period of deflation prior to 2016, and now a second article I read a minute ago is that uh, China's turning to Russia for coal supplies now. And on good news on the India front, the COVID-19 cases in India lowest in the past 215 days. Active cases have declined 2 million compared to previously. It's the lowest in 215 days. And India to get 6G soon is the question mark. No internet speed. Da, da, da. According to reports, 6G will have internet speed that is as many as 50 times faster than 5G, as, pff, as if 5G isn't fast enough for everybody. Um, the more interesting, when speed is no longer really the issue, it's going to be latency and all of these other interesting benefits that come with each new generation. And it, I imagine the internet of things and the VR, AR explosion is what we're going to need to start to account for uh then the financial times has an article and the headline reads how latin america became tech's next big frontier uh region is attracting more investment yeah well that's because it's kind of gotten a bit saturated in the west and there's a whole new very predictable wave of innovations that are going to kick off in south america starting with fintech and then comes commerce and then comes banking, and then comes this. Just this very repeatable pattern in each part of the world that India is in, right in the middle of booming through, and will continue. Tyler, yes. When did we start speaking of LATAM? Remember the question I asked yeah. a few months ago mm -hmm. about what it takes for yeah. more unicorns to show up? And ironically, what was that about two months ago? Maybe I would say three. And you yeah. had shared what it was. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we started to see the pockets of it popping up in Latin. It's mm -hmm. a very interesting dynamic how quick that was happening. Yeah, it or goes, how it again it goes happened. fast. Yeah, it does. It's like a little bit of a fire once it's lit. Yep. It goes very much straight away. Yep. It's almost like we are ants pre-programmed to enable this. We're, or bees building a beehive. Wildfire rages in Southern California coastal mountains. Another 700 firefighters are battling another massive fire. And we, by the way, we're getting towards the end of California's quote unquote fire season. Uh, incredibly regrettable that that word even exists now. Um, but it started off really hot and now it's ending hot again. But it looks like we're going to get through it without, um, we're making it through alive. And as fatigue sets, as visual fatigue sets in, podcasts and audiobooks surge in popularity. That's an interesting headline, that one. And then Sunamini sends in this one that flying taxis to take to the sky in mid 2020s, says UK's vertical aerospace company. 
fed up with traffic jams? Imagine a world where your taxi takes to the skies and lands on top of your office building. Yes, it's coming. It's called Vertical Takeoff and Landing. Florian, go ahead and get ready. And um, the, vertical, okay, the Vertical Takeoff and Landing uh, competition is very fierce. There's tons of money going into and already lots of success between Hyundai, uh, Ehuang, uh, Volocopter, uh, Lilium, and they all have working crafts of vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicles. And there's even countries that are now rolling out the red carpets for these things. So yeah, by the mid 2020s, like 2025, it's very likely we'll be flying in these. And in fact, the 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 current kind of leader on it, the um, Ehuang out of uh, Shenzhen is operating in Shenzhen and uh, I've seen the videos. It's incredibly cool. These two-seater drones that people get into and the, the thing flies itself. It it just is going to be... It, I think the transportation people have realized it's just going to be easier to avoid the challenges of human beings being humans on the ground in cars. It's just easier just to do point-to-point flight, you know, and that's why I said that back in May when I kind of first came on the scene, I kind of said ridiculous things. We were like, hey, what's the Apple car going to look like? And I said, I think it's going to be a flying car, you know, and at that time it really did sound insane. Yeah, now it doesn't at all. That's a great point. Not at all. Yeah. If Apple's building a new quote unquote car now, it, they act, because Hyundai is working on these vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicles. So now is reportedly Honda. So now that the car companies are getting into the vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicles, if you're Apple and you're thinking about making a futuristic vehicle for transportation, you might as well just go ahead and leapfrog to the next generation vehicle. And if you listen to uh, the language, right, like um, probably late last year, you heard rumors that Apple was going to buy a Jap- a Korean car manufacturer. Kia or right? something? And it yeah. was, is it Kia? Is it Hyundai? Yeah. And like you started hearing that it was going to be Hyundai. And then so when that happened, you know, I I looked on LinkedIn and, you know, because I'm a CEO, I get these high level job applications, especially an engineer CEO. Right. And like it's like, well, we're looking for chief of engineering for Hyundai and you need to have VTOL experience, you know. And I'm like, well, OK, I know where they're going. Yeah. VTOL is vertical takeoff and landing. VTOL. So, um just a couple more here. Shopify enlists Microsoft and Oracle for business tools. Okay. And Australia plans Rover to help NASA find oxygen on Mars. The Rover would collect soil that contains oxides and NASA would use separate equipment to extract oxygen from the soil. And then Faraz sends in this one that AI models recognize children's blabber. Custom-trained speech recognition models understand the linguistic patterns associated with children's speech, for lack of a better word. Custom-trained speech recognition models can understand children, child blabber, blabber. That's fantastic. You get a child translator app. And that does it, everybody. We're going to pause there because our friend Florian just opened the tech inclusion news around the world. So we will see you there and we'll see you back here in about five hours. Thank you. All right, everybody. See you. See you. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Thanks, Tyler. everybody. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Tyler. Right. Thank you, everyone. See you. Bye.